It's time for Twit. This week in tech, we have a panel of gaming experts, Sherilyn Lowe from Engadget, Jeff Kanata, and Shane Satterfield from Sifted. We're going to talk about E3, the highs, the lows, the no-shows. We also will talk about the coming cyber war and, and uh, what you can expect in the near future. And uh, a great story about a gaming company, a little gaming company that just got bought by Microsoft. We'll find out why. All coming up next on Twit. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit This Week in Tech, episode 723, recorded Sunday, June 16th, 2019. I feel subtweeted. This Week in Tech is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy with one click. It's that easy. For three extra months free with a one-year package, go to expressvpn.com slash twit. And by Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products. Introducing the new Casper Hybrid Mattresses, featuring their award-winning foam layers now combined with springs. Get $100 off select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash twit1 and using the promo code TWIT1 at checkout. And by Thousand Eyes, companies that rely on the Internet to deliver their website, app, or service to their customers rely on Thousand Eyes because when something breaks on the Internet, it's not their fault, but it absolutely is their problem. Thousand Eyes helps companies instantly find what's broken and where so they can get it fixed fast before it impacts customer experience. Visit thousandeyes.com slash twit. And by Molecule. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. For $75 off your first Molecule, visit Molecule.com and enter the promo code TWIT1. It's time for TWIT This Week in Tech, the show where we cover the week's tech news. And of course, this was a big week for E3, so we thought we'd bring some people who know something about games in here. Sherilyn Lowe, reviews editor for Engadget. No, I'm teasing. Hi, Sherilyn. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Great to see you. Actually, you're back from Computex, and I want to ask you about all about uh, Computex. Uh, but it's great yeah. to have you on once again. Do you play games you. at all? I play Overcooked. It's I don't know. I mean, I'm sure Jeff and Shane have heard about it, but it's is that a one really of those simple. games where you're like you're a chef and the people come in and you have to make hamburgers? Yeah, but it's not as simple as that. Overcooked is a little bit more challenging, um, and it's it's more like a multiplayer game. But you know, I I play I play a few other games to like League of Legends, but I wouldn't consider myself like the most hardcore gamer. Do you play Overcooked on the Xbox? Is that what you play? You can play. I play on Steam, but the first time Steam. I played it, and someone I play with my friends is on PlayStation. Oh, now I now I have another game to play. There you go. Overcooked is a lot yeah. of fun, guys. I just I recently gave up Pokemon Go, so I'm looking for I'm waiting for Harry Potter Wizards Unite to come out. That's my that's going to be my game. That was, Marvel's is going to be mine. But oh, yeah. okay, nice. Uh, also joining us, Jeff Kanata. Always great to see Jeff at five by five TV slash DLC. Yeah, which stands yeah. for damn likable content. No? Thank you. Yes, uh, our our. our <laughs> Our joke is that the DLC stands for something different every week. Yeah, so uh, that's good. perfectly, perfectly applicable. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Great to have you, yeah. Jeff. Happy Father's Thank Day. You. I know you're a, new, you. a new father, a busy guy. Yeah, indeed. Chasing toddlers around. Yeah, and hopefully they don't run in and we create a viral video of them. That'd be good. The and, and have yeah. your wife drag them out by, yeah, the, by yeah. the, the heels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, daddy, daddy, daddy. 
Uh, Shane Satterfield is also here. Shane and I worked together way back when. Yep, it's good to be back among some tech TV brethren. Yay. Shane was, uh, what, what was your job at uh, uh, Extended Play? Uh, so I worked on Extended Play as a segment producer and editorial coordinator. And then I was there for the transition from that show to X-Play, uh, where I did the same job. And then I ended up down in Los Angeles, and everybody nice. knows the rest of that story. Yeah, so, yeah, so uh, uh, X-Play was a great gaming show. And it was really, I think, the longest-running show on uh, uh, Tech TV. I think when it was all said and done... Yeah, yeah, after the transition down to L.A. Survived and some shows it all. Went away. Yeah. yeah, somehow. We were like a cockroach. Nice. <laughs> well, nobody gets in the way of Adam Sessler. He's, <laughs> he's, he's scary. He's a machine. He's a machine. And uh, Morgan Webb, of course. Uh, yeah. So, E3. I know, uh, Jeff, you must have gone because you're down there, right? Yes, yes. I uh, I think this is my... 16th or 17th e3 um this is this year was weird a little little odd especially for me i think i spent less time there than i have in any of the previous 16 or 17 years um i have a, a big new project i'm doing a dungeons and dragons show now which <gasps> is really a lot of fun Ooh, tell me dungeon about that run. dungeon run oh my called? gosh <clears throat> what's that what's it called it's called uh, the dungeon run and uh, I don't want to get sidetracked too much but uh, it is it's like it, the thing i'm most proud of maybe in my entire career. It is so much fun. Um, we're creating a television quality live play Dungeons and Dragons show. I'm the dungeon master, which means oh, I make wow. up everything. It is crazy. We have a fully animatronic mind flayer uh, that hosts the show, kind of like the old Crypt Keeper from the Tales of the Crypt. And uh, the production value is insane. It's a lot of old G4 people, actually. And um, and you, and it you is, do it... Uh in in real time, so people can watch in real time. That's right, and and participate. We actually they can actually change the show and affect the show in really cool ways uh, because it's completely real time uh, on caffeine. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. This is these are there. I am the uh, the show is a total labor of love, and we have an amazing cast. Uh, and we have these incredible models that we get to make and play Dungeons and Dragons. It's like a dream come true. What fun. But I didn't mean to get off on a tangent there. I apologize for that. <laughs> did you, out of curiosity, did your mom say you'll never make a living playing video games? Oh, I think, yes. <laughs> I think uh, everybody's mom did. I, mean, when, <laughs> but it's, it, I was just having this conversation at E3 with somebody where, uh, you know, when we were doing the Totally Rad show back in 2007, we sold T-shirts that said, uh, nerd is the new cool. It's, and we, it was like, tongue in cheek back then. We didn't think that that was actually true. We just kind of, were, it was like our mantra and it has actually become true. It is crazy. It, geek culture and nerddom and all video games and stuff like that is taken over the mainstream in a, in a way that's almost a little scary to be quite honest for my generation. Oh yeah. You know? I mean, it's, it's as uh, valuable as Hall of Hollywood put together. Um, actually yeah. Shane, one of the reasons E3 was weird this year was there was no Sony. Yeah, big deal. No PlayStation at all. And it wasn't just uh, Sony either. Um, Electronic Arts left the show floor a couple years ago. Activision was not on the show floor this year. Microsoft used to have a limited presence on the show floor, but most of its operations are now across the street at LA Live. Uh, so yeah, it was a big deal. I think there's a lot of concern about the future of E3 right now. Uh, the former ESA president, Michael Gallagher, he just stepped down. And according to my inside sources, uh, the industry in general was not happy with the direction he was taking it. Oh. And if 
DSA is the uh, lobbying faction in Washington for the games industry. Uh, and uh, they just hired a brand new president. And uh, one of his goals is to try to get people back on board for E3. Although next year you're going to have the launch of, or probably the launch of the PlayStation 5, launch of Xbox Scarlet. So chances are good that I think by the time this new ESA president starts working with the publishers and the publishers start to realize, hey, we need to launch these platforms next year, I have a feeling they'll probably be back for E3 2020. It did feel empty, though. It, it really, uh, really? Was, Tuesday, was yeah, striking. Huh. Tuesday was really bad. Uh, usually the way E3 goes is Tuesday is the busiest day, and then it slowly tapers off by Thursday. This year, Tuesday was the worst day. And then Wednesday was okay. Thursday was strong in the morning, but by the afternoon, it was like a ghost town. So attendance was down but, about 2,000 people this year, which isn't a huge slide, but you're starting to see the trend now. We're starting to go down, so something has to be done. And Shane, I'm sure you remember many years barely being able to walk through the aisles and being bombarded on all sides by cacophony and And that was before they kinds. let the public in. Keep in mind, that was right. when it was still just industry. And now they're letting the and public into the show, and it's smaller than it used to be. There's two halls, two main halls, used to be three, and now there's two. And even those, I feel like they could have gotten by with one. There's easily 30 to 40 feet up a perimeter now that's just not used and it was easy to walk through the 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 um, walkways and there was yeah. a lot less to see in each hall it it really felt markedly different to me this year the esa is incentivized to fix it because it generates over 80 percent of its annual revenue from e3 alone and that's part of the rub is that the esa relies on that money to operate all year long. And so it ends up gouging the publishers for floor space. Like I've heard that, you know, just for the floor space for a medium-sized booth there, it's like $5 million for the three days. Um, but the problem is it's hard for the ESA to lower that entrance fee because that's where all its money comes from. So it's kind of a catch-22, but the bottom line is the ESA is going to have to work with the industry. Like it or not, this is the biggest game show of the year worldwide as far as importance and where people tune in to see things. It also has the farthest reach as far as more commercial outlets because stuff happens in gaming every day of the year. But it's only E3 where you get the USA Todays and the Yahoos and everything reporting on it. So something has to be done to save it. And I just hope that the publishers are willing to work with the ESA to try to find a, uh, a better alternative going forward. I mean, I, th I think the publishers are finding that they don't need a show that they, uh, they can disintermediate their message. They can do things like what Nintendo has been doing with uh, Nintendo Direct. Now Sony is doing the same thing where they're just, instead of standing on a stage in front of a bunch of media, they just package things together, put it out on YouTube or on any other streaming site anytime they want rather than conforming to a schedule of when a show is I think you make a good point about the mainstream media taking note during yeah. these time periods, but there certainly doesn't need to be a show floor or the millions of dollars these companies spend to to do that. We've already seen companies like Apple and Samsung, you know, not have to rely on things like CES to, to get their message out. I think that's the trend. And where all of these things are going is the companies go, we don't we don't need the media and we don't need a show to package everybody together. In fact, we'd prefer to have the spotlight solely on us and make our own event that we can make perfect and not have to do it live in front of an audience anyway. Yeah. I think if you look at it though, Sony announced the initial specs for PlayStation 5 about a month before E3. 
got no mainstream coverage whatsoever. Oh. Xbox announces the first specs for Scarlet on its stage at E3. It's on the front page of CNN. So there's a lot of weight behind that. And, you know, talk, you talk about particular games. There are some games that don't need mainstream exposure because even if they get it, it's not going to really make a difference. But if you think about taking a game that sells 6 million copies into the realm of selling 12 million, you do need that more casual audience to be informed about the game. So it's... There's, it's not a perfect science, but I think it'll be better for the industry overall if it unites and they all come back to E3 and we create that spectacle again that you and I are both familiar with. Some conferences are surviving. I mean, I, I, this, that's what happened to Comdex, the old PC conference. Nobody yep. needed to go to that anymore. But CES thrives. Was Computex pretty busy, Sherilyn? Were there a lot of companies and people Com there? Computex was certainly more interesting than years past, actually. So I'm surprised that this is kind of going against the trend that you guys have rightly pointed out. I mean, you know, just look at last year. What happened was in October, every company did their own thing. And so people who were in the consumer tech industry, like myself and some of my peers, we were just stressed to death in October because we had Google, we had Apple, we had Samsung. Everyone just announced thing after thing after thing. Then we had the review season. Then we had the like, it's, it's just a bit much. I mean, like, yes, the companies will have the luxury of doing everything on their own schedule when they stay away from shows. But for us as a lean team, or if you're someone that's trying to do all of this on your own, it's nearly it will drive you to your near grave. Um, <laughs> as for Computex, it was it was really really pretty cool to see actually um there was a lot of chip news i think that chip news dominated yes. computex yes. and chip news is important because that drives a lot of the rest of the news for the rest of the year in, in pcs and pc gaming in console gaming even you talk about ray tracing that nvidia pushed out i think it was you know i, I can't remember if it was a computex but one one similar show like that that nvidia first showed off something like that and then ray tracing is now making its way to project scarlet and also i mean yes the ps5 you know, specs didn't get a lot of mainstream media coverage, but we got a lot of coverage in tech, right? So we covered it. Wired, I think, you know, had that full interview. Uh, all of our other publications in the space also covered it. it people went wild for it, the, the PlayStation spec stuff. And so, yes, ray tracing is also in the PlayStation 5. Um, to you guys' point, though, I agree that there's so much more benefit for us as journalists or as you know people working in media for everything to be concentrated around a fixed period of time just because it gives us the opportunity to focus all of our resources on that event during that one period of time because otherwise if it's spread out across like the rest of the year i am torn in a million directions all the time and not everything is going to get the focus or the attention it deserves whereas like a smaller company or like a mid-range company say like a media tech for example i don't, I don't want to like call out anyone to whatever but in, in chip in the chip industry media tech isn't like an intel or an arm or an amd right so but their news gets covered at Computex because we had people, you know, on hand to handle Computex related news. Whereas somewhere else, like in some other part of the year, they might not have gotten the attention, uh, perhaps that we, you know, that they could have been afforded. So I think there's yeah. benefits for like the not so big players to still come to the shows. And maybe those are the companies that need to rally. Yeah, I think they don't have any money. <laughs> That's what, That's yeah, point. it's expensive. <laughs> Yeah, you can those, those with the in the in the game space. Those smaller games can draft behind right. the larger games and get a lot of that attention. I think you make a great point, Sherilyn. It's it is, and Shane was saying this earlier as well. It, by having 
your resources because you're going to draw eyeballs on your coverage of the big splashy games you also get to cover a whole bunch of games and all of our inboxes are you know full of all of these um pr companies trying to get you to notice the smaller stuff and i i always make a point to try to you know surface a lot of that at these at these shows as well because that is a time for those games to get noticed and shine alongside the heavy hitters it feels like gaming is something um Unique, sui generis. It's not like any other business we've seen in technology before. And uh, it's kind of ironic because Computex is all about what some might even say is a dying industry, certainly not a growing industry, the PC industry. And gaming is about a growing industry, but nobody seems to care to go to the trade show. There's one thing for sure, though, the gaming fan conferences are bigger than ever, and there are more of them than ever. And PAX West is already sold out. And uh, the Comic Cons are going huge. It seems like for for the fans, those shows are are very successful. Yes, they're getting more access than true. ever. I mean, yeah. it kind of started with Gamescom in Germany, which is the biggest game show in Europe. Uh, they started letting fans in almost immediately when they started that show, and it's I mean, as far as size is concerned, it's the biggest game show in the world. It's dwarfs E three as far as general attendance is concerned. Is it and similar? Is I mean, one of the other problems I have with E three is it just seems to be mostly game trailers for games that won't be coming out for a year. You brought you bring up a really good point, and this is something that changed at E3 2019, is that there aren't many games being played at E3 anymore. And a lot of that is the result of fans scrutinizing <laughs> live gameplay demos and and skewering publishers oh, on social media. Interesting. Yeah, basically intimidating them out of the... There's no upside to showing gameplay early and then they get criticized for not showing any gameplay it's it's a damned if you do damned if you don't time of situation but I, there I think, is nothing think, more prickly than a gamer that, that <laughs> has to be the hardest audience to serve gamers right it's tough it's tough i mean it's not so i mean the industry has grown up and like our site generally we we have really hard moderation on our site and that keeps a lot of the kids away so our site is kind of this oasis of adult gamers people like jeff and i who have been doing it for a long time and just really love the hobby but when you start dipping into – and look, if you're a media person in 2019, you have to be a part of places like YouTube. And if you start dipping your toe in there, you start to interact with a lot of the younger audience. And it is very, very difficult. Is it age? Um, it's, so it's it's an age thing? I, yeah, absolutely. I don't know if it's completely an age thing. I feel like well, there are I mean, a lot of, there are a lot of middle-aged trolls life. out there, but I don't know. I mean, one thing we do know is that the image people have of gamers as being 14-year-old boys is completely wrong. Right. It's, about, it's a bunch of middle-aged yeah. guys like – like you guys. And, and you know, <laughs> even, even, yes, that's true. But also, Sherilyn, you, at the beginning of the show, you. She's a you gamer, said, oh, but really. it's a, but that's the problem. It's a she different said, oh, kind not, of gamer. I'm not hardcore. Right. Yes. I'm There's not hardcore. casual gamers. It's, it's going to be hard hardcore. for me to call myself anything like a gamer because the crap that I would get for saying that yeah, is. You're exactly. That's the problem. You get crap, especially as a that's woman. That's the problem. But I get that's crap. Awesome. They go, Leo, you're not a gamer. Well, I play games. What does it mean to be a gamer? I, the label is. Unimportant. As I far hate as that concerned. label. I'll, yeah. I personally, I try to never say the word gamer. I hate it because it, it's this stereotype that I've lived my whole life with that I've fought to like get rid of. So when yeah, I'll be on a three-hour podcast, I'll never say the word gamer once. I, I go on podcasts all the time. I never. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it is a negative stereotype, and I feel like it's people who are serious about games. It's something we've been trying to shed for a really long time. So. I don't want to say I ignore it, but... Well, but I'm not going to see Pokemon Go coverage on Sifted. Oh, yeah, well, you will. Really? 
Oh, yeah. Oh, Big okay. Go to the Pokemon Go page on Sifted. There's like 8,000 pieces of content for it. So, Kat, you do casual also, gaming as, as, as much as uh, A-list gaming. Yeah, I mean, if it's big, I mean, Pokemon Go is, I mean, it's bigger than almost anything. And it's also had crazy legs. Like, I've been really shocked to see uh, how long that game has lasted. But, uh, but yeah, we cover everything on Sith. And you have to. I mean, it's, people are playing games all the time. But that's what makes it so hard is there are, I mean, the people who play Animal Crossing have no interest in Call of Duty. I don't know about that. I think the people who play Call of Duty when they're out and about, they pull out their phone, and they play games. And okay. it wasn't always that way. There was a lot of pushback initially from quote-unquote hardcore gamers on mobile gaming. But as the games have gotten better, the technology has gotten better, people absolutely core gamers play mobile games. And you're starting to and see publishers who typically play in the console space making really good mobile games, Nintendo and Bethesda. And I will say that those tend to be the games in the, from the publishers that hardcore gamers gravitate towards. Like, they're more likely to play a Bethesda mobile game than a mobile game from King, say. But the fact is, they're playing mobile games, they're contributing to that ecosystem, and they're helping ge- generate revenue for mobile gaming. King makes... And the big just takeaway, for, I think just an annotation for people who don't know what the hell we're talking about. King makes Candy Crush. Okay, right. move on. <laughs> now, one of the, I think one of the biggest takeaways for me from this E3 is how those lines are going to disappear. Because yeah. I, if you had a... I've, I had to define what E3 2019 was about for me. It was this, the beginning of the streaming revolution in games. I mean, we've already seen it start. This is really where it's coming into its own with Stadia, with what Xbox is doing, with Game Pass, and how the barrier to entry on being a quote-unquote gamer or hardcore gamer or whatever silly label we have to use, uh, that is going to completely disappear. And we're going to, you're going to be able to play any game on any device at any time, all the time. And you won't have to buy a box to put under your television and you won't have to invest $400 to start. It'll be instantaneous on devices you already have with things you already own. And it will be like just loading Candy Crush on your phone, but it will be these bigger, more, quote unquote, hardcore experiences. And all of I think all of those labels will start to just morph into one another and it won't make make any difference. And it'll, I think it'll eliminate the tribalism that's in gaming, like fanboys, you know, when you don't have a piece of hardware to cheer for and everyone's just playing on this thing that they don't even see and it's just beaming to their cell phone or their tablet or their TV. Uh, I think it'll take away a lot of the negative elements that have been a part of the games industry for a long time. Well, all I know is the to me the big story about E three was the Keanu Sance. Yeah. Here is hey, my, we're in the we're in full Keanu Sans. We're in That's fear, sure. yeah. full can this is my <laughs> hen house brewing company. They're just down the street. Their new beer, Keanu is immortal. <laughs> Keanu he Reeves. Kind of Drink a taste of taste Keanu. It tastes like you got a pencil to the neck, is what it tastes like. Uh Keanu I, I, Go ahead. Leo, I've been to I've been in the room at E3 for some big names. Yes. I mean, the 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 surviving Beatles were on the stage. Jeez. Steven Spielberg was on the stage. Uh, uh, Kobe Bryant was on the stage. Big, big names. I have never <laughs> seen a response at E3 like Keanu Reeves walking on stage. The place I was sitting there. I couldn't believe it exploded into a standing ovation. It, is it was crazy. Yeah. Insane. Keanu, I can't understand it. Why is he a guy that all the gamers seem to love? Because of like, John Wick 3, baby. Yeah, it's such an overlap of interest. It's, it's, really it's the going exact, to be breathtaking. Yeah. 
it, it, it kind of amazes me. <laughs> he also just super cool. He's cool. He's cool. Uh, I guess. I still see. I still think of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I'm sorry. It's. <laughs> Good movie. I just saw it a tweet is. going around recently of Keanu taking pictures where he's not touching women's women's backs. I saw that. Did you see that one? I love Which that. Is, his hand. Yeah. Is, not only is he not touching their backs, but he's intentionally sticking his hand out like if this was Cheryl, like farther so you can <laughs> see that he's not touching their backs. <laughs> and I, I feel like him. that's the new Hollywood way. I but that's pretty him. cool. I don't blame him at all. Are you kidding? Yeah, he seems like he's got his like he's got a good head on his shoulders. So <laughs> he sees the Anyways. matrix. Uh, yeah. So, uh, anyway, yeah, I saw it. And I thought, wow, um, Microsoft, big win. This was for a game called Cyberpunk 2077, which don't get all excited. It's going to come out in 2077. Uh, <laughs> for a while, we thought that because it's been in development for like nine years. It's Duke Nukem forever, all over again. No, actually, they say oh, now it'll be next, better than that next spring. Yeah, yeah, May, May, finally. Right. Yeah, maybe. It's based on a book that's set in 2020, so the date's kind of perfect. <laughs> okay. I don't know if that was their plan all along, but it kind yeah, of worked out. We knew we knew that all along. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. That was our plan. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Um, so there's no question, gaming is huge. There's also no question, it's a very unusual business because uh, I guess it's kind of like Hollywood a little bit. Uh, Hollywood has. Uh, fans in a you know, bunch of different genres and it serves those fans it's very expensive to make a major motion picture it's very expensive to make a game it's a little longer to make a game it takes more people maybe uh, but there's there is that the closest industry is the is the is the movie the, industry? i think the biggest difference is that uh a game a, a movie can be changed in the editing room and can be changed as you shoot it and obviously the script is changes a lot but pretty much once you start marketing a movie it's very close to being done it right. is almost you you know what it is it is frustrating uh, to me that the gaming industry promotes this stuff so far ahead of time yeah well the, the dollar signs are so big you know it, it's it's hard you have to ensure that there is an audience for this thing because you're spending so much money on it as the thing is taking shape and that's the the real tough uh thing to square you know it, it, it is it is difficult for this industry to figure out ways to promise things when the people making the game aren't sure that they're going to pull off those promises and it's just a fact of game design well duke nukem forever is a perfect example <laughs> um, yeah i think as far as financial no structure wonder. is concerned gaming is more closely aligned with gillette than hollywood because if you sell the console at a loss or you make no money and then you make all the money off the blades right. or the games. So financially, it's more similar to something like that than Hollywood. Well, that's true of the gaming console manufacturers, Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo. But there's only a handful of those. Yep. Um, that is different from movies because, I mean, it's I mean, you can watch movies in a movie theater. Uh, but you have to own some expensive gear. That's actually one of the things that's most interesting to me about Stadia. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about Google's Play. Last week, Karsten explained it to me. I didn't know what I couldn't figure out who would want this. If you're a PC gamer, if you got a PC, if you're a console gamer, you got a console. Who who is the market for this? Karsten explained it, but I'll talk about that in just a second. First, we got a great panel here for not just talking about games. There's a lot more we're going to talk about in the show, including the United States deciding that they want to open cyber war with Russia. Oh, that'll go well.
Uh, Jeff Kanata is here from. Um, should I talk? Should I say from the new the new show the the dungeon? Sure. Dungeon. What dungeon is it? Run. run. Yeah. Dungeon Run. Yeah. yeah. And uh, DLC on Five by Five. Where can I? Yeah. Do I have to have caffeine to watch Dungeon Run? No, it's available on YouTube and also as an audio podcast anywhere nice. you get podcasts. If you like listening to people <laughs> pretending to wander around in a cave. This is the podcast for you. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's it's. I'm very. Proud give me your of it. best dungeon master. What do you tell? Give me an example. How does it sound when you're like? Well, I did. I think last episode I did seven different voices of different oh, play, uh, characters that the serious? team ran into, and uh, wow. yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, it, it's high adventure. It, this is this is Game of Thrones, but improvised every week. And I'm telling you, listen, I I. Don't like to toot my own horn too much, but this show is very good, and I'm very proud of it. And awesome. uh, we're doing something that is really coming from our hearts and putting a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears into it. So I hope people check it out. All the best. That's great. Thanks. Uh, also uh, with us today, Sherilyn Lowe. She is in charge of all the reviews at Engadget. No wonder <laughs> she's tired. Holy cow. Jeez, There's a lot of stuff. There's a to, lot of to stuff. Look over, yeah. Way too much stuff. And yeah. Shane Satterfield, he's the founder and... Man in charge is Sifted, GameSifted.net, the first gaming site for people like me. Because you pick you pick what you want to see. It's curated content, and you pick the content you're interested in. I think that's a brilliant move. Our show today brought to you by ExpressVPN. I know everybody listening to this show knows what a VPN is. A virtual private network it has a bunch of benefits. It lets you uh, keep your uh, traffic on the internet protected from the guy in the hoodie in the corner at the coffee shop, but also private from your internet service provider from your carrier it allows you to emerge on the public internet in a country of your choice so you don't have to worry about geographic content restrictions but there's always the question but what's the best vpn and let me talk about what i think makes a great vpn and then i'll tell you the best vpn first of all it's got to be fast right because if you're using a vpn and suddenly the internet is unusable what's the point it also has to be secure because remember if you're using a VPN to bypass privacy, to protect your security, you're putting the burden on the VPN provider. They have to be good, not only fast, but they have to protect your privacy. They have to delete their logs. They don't. They can't know anything about what you're doing, or no, you know, voluntarily delete everything that they could know about what you're doing. That's really important. They have to be secure. We know that there are VPNs that leak your information, not intentionally, but because they're poorly created. This is why I use ExpressVPN. Number one VPN, according to Tech Radar, it's number one with me too. Your privacy is absolutely safe at ExpressVPN. It's absolutely secure and it's super fast. They have servers everywhere. That means you're close to a server, but it also means you can emerge onto the internet in the, in the country of your choice. This is a VPN, the kind of VPN you want. And they have apps for every platform. One button. One click to turn it on, one click to turn it off. So it couldn't be more convenient, more easy to use. ExpressVPN, protect your privacy, protect your security. Use a VPN service that cares about you. Less than $7 a month, and it's the VPN protection I use. I want you to try it right now. Actually, we have the best deal for you. When you buy a one-year package at expressvpn.com slash twit, you'll get three extra months free. Three extra months free, but you have to go to expressvpn.com slash twit expressvpn.com slash twit we thank expressvpn for uh, creating a really excellent vpn and protecting our privacy and uh, for supporting this week in tech 
information about Stadia came out this week. Com again, a perfect example, completely uh, independent of uh, E3. They announced at GDC, the Game Developers Conference, which made sense. They need developers. Uh, but they uh, didn't wait till E3 to announce the platform. So here's the theory. This is Karsten's theory, not mine. I don't get it. <laughs> I uh, the found what was the founder's edition 120 bucks you get a Chromecast 130. Ultra 130 you get a Chromecast Ultra a a dedicated Stadia Wi-Fi based control kind of goofy controller that's okay but it's just a little odd and uh you get 3 months and a buddy pass for a friend for 3 months and you get da da Destiny 2 and then and this is the thing that puzzled me it's not like Microsoft's uh, Game Pass. It's not like Sony Sony's streaming gaming service. You pay pay for the game. You have to buy the game. There's no. Well, their 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 messaging at the event was uh, perplexing to me because the thing about Stadia is you don't have to buy anything. Oh. You don't need the hundred and thirty dollar founders pack. No. Yes. You don't need the nine ninety nine monthly fee they have a free none a of free that tier. is required to, yeah none of that is required to use stadia okay. in fact you probably already have everything you need to just buy a game and play it if you want to play it in 4k at 60 frames per second yeah you need that 9.99 fee and if you want to stream it on your television you're going to need uh, a chromecast so they're going to sell you that and if you want to use their controller you got to buy their controller but it supports all the controllers you probably already own and it and if you have anything that can load Chrome onto it, you can probably already do it. So what they should have said, how they should have led that event, in my opinion, is, hey, this is a way for anybody to play AAA games right now with the stuff you already own. All you got to do is buy the game and you can play it. But if you want to play it in all these other ways, if you want a rotating selections of games that'll be free if you want to do it at 4k we offer these other options that will sell you as part of this founders pack as part of a monthly subscription that does sort of compete with game pass on a certain level although the details remain to be revealed but all those things are additive to what the core selling point in my opinion of what stadia is which is no barrier of entry no need for a console you can just play it in Chrome, on the stuff you already have. Yeah. And that's where I think they fumbled the ball because, like you, most people didn't come away understanding that, you know? did uh, Does it play well? Because the other problem is completely out of Google's hands, which is that you have to push it down whatever internet pipe you have. Yeah, that's I the real sticking well. point. Yeah, you, yeah, have I, you I played, played it, Shane? Really well. I have yes, too. I also yeah, played uh, xCloud at Microsoft's installation at E3, and uh, both technologies, to me, work far better than I ever dreamed that they would. Now, Because it's not new. We've seen this before. We saw yeah. OnLive, Gaikai. Gai yeah. Um, and I think we've just, we've just matured into it working at this point. They were just <laughs> a little too early. Okay. That makes sense. Is it well, I think the server farms, I mean, you have Google. Obviously, they have nodes all around the world. And obviously, they, they can put their traffic on whatever lane they want to. So they're kind of in the ideal position to do this. But... And Microsoft, the same deal with xCloud. Obviously, it has its own infrastructure that it can use for that. Uh, and I used xCloud at E3, and I was blown away by how good it was. I mean, they had like a, a controller, and they had a little attachment on the controller with the with a mobile phone. And we were playing Gears of War, and it's 
it's really hard to explain seeing that level of graphical fidelity on a little screen like that, how impressive it is, until you actually have it in your hands. Yeah, because all of the work is being done server-side, so they might be using a, the effectively a, a powerful gaming PC, even though you're looking at a screen on a phone. Yep, and they're yeah. just beaming that video signal to you. And the latency is so much better than it was for OnLive and Gaikai. Would I but play you can't, a fighting wait a minute, game Shane. Or, a shoot, or a competitive shooter on it? Probably not. You but for can't most single-player games. Shane, you can't judge latency at a demo like that. That's a that's a private network you're on. In a, in, no, you're right. I mean, yeah, they can try cheat, it but... at home. Tell me how it works when you're on Comcast, you know, yeah. or Frontier. Yeah. What the or, hell is it going to look like then? Or the future of this is what? 5G, right? And everything comes back to 5G for Thank me. Thank God yeah. 5G's just around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 mean, I turned I on my phone the other day and it said 5G right on it. Yeah, so yeah, 5GE. Right you know, it's a little it's easier. Here. Yeah, I mean, if that's what, yeah, if that's what Stadia is supposed to do, right? It's supposed to make it so you can play on your phone. X Cloud right. supposed to play on your phone. You what? What are you going to play it on? I'm because all the profits being done there, and you're just waiting for them to transfer. I'm it to waiting for Elon Musk's Starlink. That's going to be the future of gaming. <laughs> uh, the, the, the emails that I always get are, I have data caps in my area. I right. have, you know, slow internet speeds. I live in the Midwest. What kind of bandwidth so, do these things use? Is it a lot? A lot. Yeah. yeah. In fact, a there's lot. a bunch of more than Netflix, how, more than watching oh, a 4K yeah. movie. Oh yeah. Much more. Oh, and, and there's a lot of articles about how they're unfriendly to the environment too, which is. Surprising. Oh yeah, these servers are chunking along. I mean, it's worse than your gaming console in terms of power usage. Oh yes. yeah, for sure. But I don't know if you've tried PlayStation Now, which used to be called Gaikai, or if you ever tried OnLive, and those services. PlayStation Now is, like, usable. It's not perfect yet, but it is usable. On I've live, used the uh, GeForce Now NVIDIA yeah. streaming solution on my yeah. uh, NVIDIA Shield. And they're all kind of okay. there. So the assumption is once you get on the backbone of a Google or a Microsoft, that experience should improve drastically. So it is a bit of an assumption, and I understand you're absolutely right. They can jimmy these demos a little bit, uh, but I also feel like it, it's like, we were saying earlier, gamers are pretty crafty, and they can sniff out a scam probably better than anyone oh, else sure. on the internet. If you do that, you're playing with fire. I mean, the the backlash for that could literally crush your business. So, but but also, right, it's not an but, if; it's a when. It's it, it's right. it, yeah. This isn't this isn't like oh, will they ever be able to do it? It's just how are we still too early, like on live was, or are we arriving now? Is and I it think your sense, though? This is my problem. Gamers have a gaming system. They're on Steam or their PC, or they're using uh, Game Pass on their on their Xbox. You don't, you don't think the, uh, the idea of not having to buy another $500 box every four years is, is attractive to people? I, mean, I think there's a huge number of people that if you reduce the barrier to entry will now be able to have access to the game if all so you this need to is buy for the next is the billion game. gamers yeah yes literally this is people like me who would play a game i've been thinking about buying a console or a switch just to play overcooked but but like it you know there are people who won't shell out for a, a console or are thinking about buying so-called like a gaming phone to play like a, a mobile game but i think these efforts make it easier for people like me to get into gaming and then I might be incentivized to invest more in say a better controller or maybe a VR headset for when the VR version of my favorite game comes out. I think the big fear is that it's Google and Google has a history yeah. of 
coming up with an idea and launching it. And then if it doesn't go as well as it hoped yeah. in the first year or so, bailing on Short it. Short attention span. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah, just but Microsoft doesn't seem is to... going to be there. Uh, I think I think everybody is going to be doing this. I think everybody wants to be the Netflix for video games. And I think it's it's just a matter of time. I mean, I think you could probably find some episodes of Twit back in the old days where people were saying, well, I still like my Blu-rays. There's not the, yeah. the quality is going to be, yeah. I won't, I don't want Netflix. It's, I want my Blu-rays. And I think it's, it, it's just inevitable that this convenience and lack of barrier to entry will trump all the other things at a certain point. And my kids are going to think it was weird that I ever had a black box sitting under my television to play video games. Even on. if you can get an Xbox for a couple of hundred bucks, I, I think it's it's not just that you can get an Xbox for a couple hundred bucks, but it, it's the stuff that you already have. I, I played uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey on my Chromebook, my crappy little Chromebook yeah. that I have for work because I just need something to use email on. And it, I played it using Stadia, a AAA, incredible, content-rich, yeah. graphic-intensive game on my Chromebook, and it was very playable. So and it's, it's really it's really gaming everywhere. The idea is let's let's have yes. AAA gaming on every device everywhere all the time. Yes. I think it's going to take a while though before streaming takes over. Um I agree with everything Jeff said. He's right. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Is it going to happen in the next 3 or 4 years? I don't know. There's a lot of gamers what most people would call core gamers who have already rejected streaming and Stadia. Because it's, so in a lot of cases, just because it's not a Nintendo console or it's not a PlayStation console. And then, and again, Jeff was also right that the messaging coming out was not great because a lot of people looked at that announcement and did the math and was like, wait a minute. So I could pay for my PlayStation 5 or my right. Xbox 2 or whatever they end right. up calling it and have something. And that would, you know, within two years of playing for Stadia, I could actually own the console instead of owning nothing. So Console players are stubborn. It's hard to get them to move in a direction and get the whole herd going. But I think more casual players are probably going to be, there are going to be enough of them to uh, keep it afloat, hopefully until uh, the more hardcore players start migrating over. And I'm in that category too. I, I want everything computed locally. I want the Ferrari of gaming consoles sitting in my house generating massive amounts of heat, but pumping out the pixels. That's, that's what I sign up for. I don't, I'm not... Excited about the streaming future in the sense that I think it's going to be a better experience for me. I just think exactly what you said, Leo, about the next billion gamers yeah. is what this represents. It, it is completely eliminating the barrier of entry and it opens up the hobby to people that probably wouldn't shell out the money for consoles. And it makes it ubiquitous, makes it, you know, it, it it divorces it from any specific device, and now you can play it on anything, anywhere, all the time. It's certainly going to put a lot of pressure, at least in the U.S., on internet infrastructure, which is woefully inadequate right now. We suffer among, given that we invented the internet, about the worst internet access of most developed nations, or at least the most costly. Uh, net neutrality is going to play a big part. Oh, thank too, God, it's going to fix it all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I think you know when this whole thing was happening, me trying to get like my family and friends on social media to understand how important it was, it was impossible. But I think when you start to deal with stuff like this in the future, that's when the average person is going to care about the net neutrality yeah. laws and five G. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe who knows, Starlink. Um, <laughs> 
You know, it could be Elon. Sometimes you see this in technology where you've got trajectories of different technologies that don't make sense by themselves. But at some point in the future, they're going to converge. I think the Internet was an example of that. And one of the things people always say to me when we talk about these kinds of futures is, well, that's going backwards. That's back to when you had a central mainframe and you had thin clients and all the computing was done over there. And and we got out of that. We put a PC on every desktop, and that changed the world. Aren't we just going back to uh, mm. that other old client server? Well, it's, well, it's like all these networks that are launching their own streaming services now. It's like Oy. $10 here, $14 Disaggregation. here. Seven. Yeah. Now it's like, wait a minute. If I pay for all these services, I'm actually paying more, more than yep. I paid for DirecTV. They're not and stupid. And eventually, you know, someone's going to come along and they're going to try to aggregate all those services yeah, right into in. one server yeah, and you're yeah. right back to cable and satellite it's again. It's and, and if you look at the video game industry, it is going the exact opposite direction of the movie and television industry where, you know, the, the video game industry in its entire history has been a la carte. Buy the game, play it. And the TV industry was like, oh, my gosh, you know what we could do? Instead of having to pay for a network to get a television show, we'll just sell you the television show a la carte. Meanwhile, the video game industry is going, Netflix. instead of buying we games like a Netflix. la carte, <laughs> we'll a channel of video games. It's like they're crossing, ships yeah. crossing, in the, you know? Yeah. Well, sometimes you feel like people are uh, in the technology industry are throwing spaghetti against the wall and they just they don't they don't have a great coherent plan but they're they're well, hoping something but now now here's here's my philosophical question for all three of you a lot of this presumes that gaming in 10 years is going to look a lot like gaming today is there there's not a lot of precedent for that uh i think for a while everybody was all excited about virtual reality that seems to have kind of was there a lot of vr at e3 no i'm still excited about vr that's because you're a weirdo jeff but there I was know. no VR at E3 this no. year. There was no it, VR it, at that's CES not true. either. That's not well, true. no, there wasn't. There was... Oculus had a booth. But let me explain, because I know Jeff is a huge proponent of VR. So let me <laughs> state my point first, and then you can follow up. I've been going to E3 for 20-some years. I've, I've gone the last six or seven years. For the last four or five years, every booth you went to had this little roped-off area outside yeah. it where that publisher would be showing its token VR game. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, that was to try to get people into the booth to check out their other stuff. All that is gone now. Like we just did our best of E3 awards yesterday and finding like a really good VR game wasn't that tough, but finding one that anyone's actually heard of was almost impossible. In fact, the game that I picked, a game called Pistol Whip, my co-host had never even heard of the game. Like wow. we just got announced at E3. It was, announced it was just announced. Me. But I mean, look, we're we're hardcore. Like we follow games. I mean, we use Sifted. And if you don't, if you're not hardcore, you, you would look at Sifted and be like, this is insane. But We've both been proponents of VR, but I don't think there's any denying, Jeff, that at the show this year, it was the least represented ever since it kind of became a thing. Jeff, what, tell me, uh, Vive, Rift, what do you, when you're bullish on VR, what is it? Well, I have all of them. It's yeah, in the but what do, you, over here. what do you play? Uh, uh, well, I mean, I just got a quest, and I think that it represents a real new step in opening that technology up to a whole new audience. You have this standalone yeah. Well, really effectively a console now. I, I've been describing VR headsets as a display device for a yes, long time. that's right. And Quest, I think, really is a console. That's the new Oculus. And Sherilyn, yes, you're, really you're nodding your head. You like the Oculus Quest? I've heard a lot of 
really good things about it. My colleague Devinder reviewed it, and he is really bullish about it. I my biggest experience with VR is in, at you know film festivals, Tribeca, because they're also big on VR there. And the sense I'm getting is that really for for the for the near future, for the short term, VR is going to be good as like a location based experience. And so like when I went to Vegas, for example, I oh, like. They had like VR experiences, VR arcades that you could go and visit while you're, I guess, not losing your money at the slots. And, you know, people are drawn to some of these experiences for now just to kind of check it out. But as technology progresses and as these headsets get better, like the Oculus Quest, and I'm hoping it's future generations, you know, I don't think every household will have a VR headset, but I, I think it'll be start becoming more common and... Yeah, perhaps now is in the time we're seeing a lot of hope and excitement for VR. But I think I'm with Jeff here in that, like, I'm still hopeful that VR gaming is going to be so, like, the future because it's so immersive and so exciting. Oh, God, you guys look like dorks. It looks like this is straight out of Ready Player One. This is like, how dorky can you get? <laughs> I am ah, someone who has awesome, been hyped for 5G, so you, you should expect that. <laughs> All right. I wish the Quest had been what came out first because I think a lot of people uh, got sort of the early revs of VR as their first taste of VR. Yeah. And a lot of people maybe got, mo I get motion sickness with some VR games. And I think a lot of people experience that first play. And the Quest really is great VR. There's no wires, there's no tethers. Another thing that's really bothered a lot of people. Um, and so it is odd that, you know, finally I feel like. Quest is what we've been waiting for, but then there was hardly any representation of the medium at one of the biggest game shows in the world. So um, I agree. Quest is kind of what I think the future of VR is going to be, and I just hope there's enough support so it can kind of get on its feet. So our 16-year-old and his buddies, they all play uh, – we have a Vive. We have a, all of them too, except for the Quest, and they play wireless with the Vive. Um, and that seems like they really enjoy it. I don't. I still don't. <laughs> a lot of well, what they do is office tasks. <laughs> it's like I'm watching they're them, and they're playing. They're like stapling things. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Are they playing a uh, uh, job simulator? Is yeah, that, it's yeah. a great game. Yeah. You know the sequel. Yeah. I'll just plug the sequel, Vacation Simulator, where I yeah. play one of the main characters. So oh, you're in that. Me. I'll have to tell yeah. him I know that guy because that, <laughs> yeah. they play that all the time. I play efficiency bot in Vacation Simulator. You're kidding but, um, me. Oh, my no. God. I, I know a celebrity. You're going to make my name at home. Uh, let me just let me bot. just pitch this idea to you real quick. What if I think that there will be a time not far off where we're marrying these two things that we've just been talking about, where we have standalone VR headsets and streaming video games so that when – you are able to stream high quality video images Everywhere. into the headset. Everywhere. It takes. Yeah. It, what's that? Everywhere. You're not. Yeah. And you, it, ta it takes the, the, the horsepower out of the hands of the headset so yeah. they can be lighter and more so, comfortable and less cumbersome. Tell me about the Quest. So I still need a computer. This is just a wireless VR. No, you no, do not need a computer. The computer is built into the thing. Yes, yep. it is. It is a standalone device completely. It has inside-out tracking, so you need no external trackers. You can walk out in your backyard or walk. What's over the to a resolution? House. Is it as good as an Oculus? Uh, it's about comparable to the first Rift, maybe slightly better. It, there's still some of that screen dooring that you see from the yeah. first, but it is a, a really high-quality experience. It's fast enough. Super quick. Super quick between the moment you put it on and the moment you're playing. So That's literally, important. all you do. You put it on your face, you yeah. draw a line around you of how far ar around is safe for you to swing your arms, and then you go. 
It is super slick. It has removed all of the cumbersome elements of all the cables and all the sensors and everything, and you just play. And it, I have gotten so many emails from people saying, oh my gosh, I wasn't into VR, but I tried Quest. It's amazing. This is the future, and I think uh, I, I truly do believe that uh, my kids are going to think it was weird that we played on 2D screens, you know, the same way they thought it was weird that I had a box under my television. I think this is where we're headed. A fully immersive video game is all around you. Wow, I guess I, 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 I thought it was history, but okay. <laughs> I guess I'm wrong. Uh, I'll accept that, and I'll have to go get one of these. I think if the companies these... had more shallow pockets, it would have been over. But the good news is you have companies you like Facebook, Facebook yeah. who are fronting it, and they can afford to take the losses up front. Yeah. Uh, how about Scarlet? So Microsoft announced their next-generation Xbox. It'll be available next year. Uh, actually, there'll be two of them. Uh, one will be essentially the equivalent of the existing Xbox, and the other one will be Project Scarlet. We don't know what the name is. 8K graphics. Of course, X, the current X uh, was supposed to do 4K graphics, but there were no 4K games. So this will probably yeah, be 4K graphics, right? This will be like real 4K graphics, then cheating uh, 8K And then graphics. they'll checkerboard the 8K. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, Anything, what's exciting about this? You sound like, Sherilyn, you were kind of excited about Scarlet. Oh, I I just kind of heard the specs and I was like, oh, that sounds a lot like the PS5 specs that we heard. And They are, they, aren't they? You know, yeah, they're the same. Yeah, yeah. They're basically the same. So they're going to compete head-to-head -head again and it'll just boil down to the games again. And, and you know, Let me ask a story. stupid question. Why do they both use uh, AMD parts, processors? Deals. It's just cheaper. Yeah. I think it's just the deals that they've made inter- company deals. Okay. But it, the future, according to both of these companies, the future is hard drives. The future is uh, SSDs. <laughs> the, the biggest I mean, selling point on both of these systems is SSD. faster yeah. SSDs, yeah. no loading times. Yeah. Well, that's it's true. Just, it bumps up the speed quite a lot, right? The interstitial yeah. time, I think, for the, the Spider-Man game that they demoed on the PS5 was just 10 times faster or something, which for a gamer could be like a huge difference. Um one point about AMD, by the way, I don't know that it's just deals. I think, yes, there's a lot of that. But I think that AMD has made a lot of like improvements in his graphics cards lately. And, you know, that might be, I mean, not that, not that like it's, it's the um, only, I mean, the RTX stuff is in there, if I'm not wrong, right? I'm not like fully caught up on what else. Yeah, that's in there. the idea is that there will be RTX and ray tracing. And uh, we don't know, we don't know exactly what these, the, these, Things are going to be able to do, but evidently ray tracing will be a big part of the next generation. And then these faster SSDs that they say will allow them to use the hard drive as virtual RAM. That's how fast they are. And the benefit of ray tracing is much more realistic lighting and uh, scenes because they're generating uh, it's a ray trace of the uh, image in real time, yeah. which I never thought anybody could ever do. It's an amazing thing, right? If yeah. you, it, it's it's a it's. A little bit deeper than that, this was explained to me by somebody who said that, you know, games are very expensive to make and they're very time consuming to make. And one of the things that's expensive and time consuming is building out these scenes where you have to fake all of the lighting. You have right. to tell the engine to put lighting here and here and here to make it look realistic. And what ray tracing will let you do is not have to fake it. Right. Is just make a scene and then say, here's the, where light comes from and it here. does yeah. all yeah. the rest for you. It, com right. it computes it instead of you having to, you know, say, formulate all that and trick the 
the systems into creating something that's realistic. It's just behaving like actual light, um, which could conceivably make the production of games easier. Production easier. It's a resource hog, though. That's why it's taken so long. Ray tracing has been a thing since I remember Blender. back when they were first talking about the Blender. Nintendo GameCube. They yeah. were like talking about ray tracing. So it's been a thing for a long time, but now we just finally have the hardware capable of pulling it off in real time. So, um, you know, well, I, I think remember the other having thing a, too. I had Go a ahead. ray tracer on my old eighty, uh, my old XT PCXT. Yeah, you'd let it run I, overnight. Overnight, one frame. <laughs> these amazing billiard balls. Yeah, you know? yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Specular highlights. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, it makes it more realistic. I was uh, playing that, not playing, but watching that Doom, uh, or what was it, Quake, that they re redid in ray tracing. It was pretty impressive. It's amazing yeah. technology. So, Absolutely. But my question, and I kind of got sidetracked by VR. I had no <laughs> idea that Jeff was such a proponent. Uh, <laughs> and by the way, I just bought an Oculus Quest. Thank you, Jeff. The what, while you were sitting <laughs> there, you bought you're one? Yeah. Amazing. I'm awesome. a multitasker. Then you know what? My job here is done. <laughs> yeah. You convinced exactly. me. Well, That's I can't. Right. I mean, I've been the guy who's saying, oh, yeah, that was a fad like 3D and it's over. So I can't say that. I can't be justified saying that if I haven't tried the Dude, latest. Okay, thing. here we go. You Beat Saber, it. Beat Saber, Moss, Super Hot, Vader Immortal. I think I have then, all of those on the Rift. I, can I, I mean, I already own them, right? Several of them you are cross by. I don't. I don't think Beat Saber or Super Hot well, are, but many again. of them are cross. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The kids like Super Hot. Very good. It's very but good. that was going to be my question: was is what is the future? What are games going to look? We're not going to be playing Call of Duty Infinite Ghost Recon Warfare 2025, <laughs> are we? Or are we? I think you will. Oh God! How depressing. I think with esports. I mean, esports <laughs> feeds into it, though. I, I mean, couldn't believe Mortal Kombat 11. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, esports is a big Viper deal, though. X. Yeah. Just so you know, striking <laughs> oh, no. Viper sex. Is that the don't don't play the striking Viper? <laughs> that's the uh, that's the Black Mirror game. Okay. I don't oh, know okay. it's one of the new episodes. I haven't seen, that, I haven't seen the new season yet. Okay, it has some functionality in it that's a little surprising. <laughs> <laughs> it bet me, yeah, but, that, but I don't think it's an game. Oculus Quest yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so well, okay, maybe not. Maybe the, maybe uh, first person shooters are the. Uh, Sine Quan Ultra of gaming. There's nothing. Well, I think anything that has a big esports scene is going to be hard for it to change too much. It's like how much. Yeah. Do you well, wait a minute. Wait the a rules minute. of the NFL. Yeah, but every wait year? a minute. We thought League of Legends was the esport thing until Fortnite came out, right? I think League of Legends is still bi a bigger and better long-term play than Fortnite. Really? Yeah, absolutely. League of Legends is never going away. It's oh, just gigantic. My. Like, really? you see all these other games come and go, and League just, it's a rock. Um, Interesting. And it's its also one of those games that literally you could play for the rest of your life and always get better at. Do you think it's interesting? It's very interesting to me that the uh, Epic bought, creators of Fortnite bought House Party. Because it really feels like Fortnite has become a social network for 12-year-olds. Yeah. And, <laughs> and House Party is the video component of that. Yep. I mean, they did that stuff where they had they've had like live concerts inside yeah, of Fortnite already. Right. Epic's been pretty progressive in how it's handling the marketing of its video games. It's done things that no one else, I'm sure others have thought of, but just didn't have the guts to pull the trigger on. Uh, but I mean, that concert, what did they have? 10 million people watching a fake concert inside Fortnite or something? I mean, just think Not, about the business. By the way, I if saw that artists, number. It wasn't simultaneously. They came, right. came and went. Yeah, yeah. But, but still, still, 
That's but still, amazing. there's a lot so of think people. Think about if you're Britney Spears <laughs> or whoever. I mean, you could have a virtual concert in Fortnite and probably make more think. money make more money than you would if you did a real concert at a stadium. So it's just opening up all kinds of avenues to bring other pop culture into the industry. And I think it's good overall because it's, if someone just downloads Fortnite to go watch a concert of some pop star and then maybe they start playing Fortnite and then they're like, hey, I kind of like this. And then right. maybe they buy a console and then they start buying other games. So, you know, when stuff like that acts as a Trojan horse, a lot of hardcore gamers are reluctant. I think it's great because but, I think it's always bringing new people into the market. I have to say three years ago was Battle Royale a category that everybody was excited about. I mean, there's definitely been a shift in that regard. I guess it's it's still first person shooter but with slightly different there's always going to be a next big thing yeah right? there's yeah. it's you know something's the biggest thing in the world until something else is the biggest thing in the world that's so. what i'm wondering uh, you know there there if you look at um the only the only analog i can think of for gaming is the movie industry if you look at the movie industry there were watersheds 1967 was a watershed for the movie industry when cameras got small enough they didn't have to do it in a sound stage uh, in a back lot, they could make a movie in the field, and Bonnie and Clyde got made, and a whole—I mean, it just changed the world for movies. Is that going to happen in gaming, or no? Is it just going to be? Yeah. Yes, it's good. I, think, I think it has kind of happened seeing, already. Has it? We're seeing. We're seeing that the, there was a time when video games started where it was a bunch of technical people who created video games. Yeah. Because you had to be technical to program a video game and interface with a computer yeah, and make actually, it do what you wanted it to do. In those days, one person wrote a whole game. Right. Or a couple <laughs> of people in the garage, right? Yeah. But, but it was technical people. It yes. was technical people Skates. that were trying to yes. create art. And I, what you're seeing is happening now with Unity being ostensibly free yeah. and incredibly powerful and very easy to use. Oh, interesting. That these tools are being put in the hands of artists, artists. who aren't technical people. Writers, and, designers. Yes. And painters. they're able to, to use this medium Musicians. to express their art without having the technical know-how to do it because the tools are so intuitive and easy What's to an use example? and accessible. What's an example of that? Uh, is Uncharted an example of that? What's an example of that? No, I mean, Lots, Uncharted there's tons of indie games that are built on Unity, but there's tons of them. I mean, it's not just Unity. It's Unreal. All the middleware there's, there's, programs there's middleware for developing games. There's middleware out there, yeah. I mean, they're all basically copy and paste applications that right. I wouldn't say anyone can learn how to use. But if you're dedicated and you're at least moderately intelligent, you can learn how to make a video game now in 2019. But, but, whereas the the area that Jeff was alluding to, that was impossible unless you took programming classes and became a programmer. It's just you know, Shane, it's not required. Shane, you know, the next the next level of this is something like dreams. Right. Yep. There's a, a or game even more simple like Super Mario Maker. I mean, it's right. What's right. dreams? Mario Tell Maker. me about dreams. Dreams is a is a Sony game, quote unquote game, but it's really an incredibly robust tool set that is still in beta right now. But even in beta, people are posting that they have created a new X-Wing game. Hasn't though this been around with level designers? I mean, for years and years and years. Uh, but these tools are becoming so accessible and so, and so in, yeah, exactly. Intuitive and easy to use that. I think you're going to see there's an entire generation of kids who want to create but aren't programmers that are going to have the ability to actually make games. And I think we're going to see more and more of that with Mario Maker, with Dreams, with these kinds of um, – It feels like they're going a little bit on rails though because every game I see looks a lot like every other game. And then there's an occasional something like Journey, which is an indie game that's very different – 
But that's not going to be a billion dollar game either. Well, but it you doesn't have to be, right? You don't have to make. I guess movies are kind of like that too. I mean, now we're in the Marvel yeah. universe, right? And and uh, but then there's still indie movies that are different. That are art house films, and so is that the, the kind of ecosystem we're creating? Scene. Yeah, the, the indie video game scene is incredibly vibrant and yeah. beautiful. And and you know, you go to there's the indie mega booth at E3 every year and at PAX and all these places, and you go there and you see some of the most outside the box thinking and beautiful expression using video games to explore depression or right. explore, uh, you know, real issues like you see filmmakers using the film medium to do. And nice. I think that is because artists who aren't technical people now have access to this medium. Just, and you don't have to make a billion uh, dollar do, game. Do. It's just start. You know, you can right. start there and you make a great game. Next thing you know, big studios like Naughty Dog or Nintendo are calling you and saying, hey, we like what you're doing. Like, come on, come and work with us. Look at so, Double Fine. Just Microsoft just yeah. bought Double Fine. Yep, they were an indie developer. Yeah. And just uh, just last week, uh, Google announced their new game builder. That, yep. Yeah. That uh, is going to open up the... Imagine the kids who play Minecraft today who are building in Minecraft but building in a somewhat constrained universe suddenly start using the same kinds of tools to create games. Yeah. This is why it's I'm so happen. encouraged. Yeah. Leo, you talk about, you know, sort of being depressed by the next Call of Duty, Warfare, Death, Vcon. <laughs> and and I, I'm a little bit in that boat, too. But I think the there is an entire generation that was raised on Minecraft that look at video games as a creation tool. And that Isn't that is an interesting. incredibly exciting. Yeah, that is an interesting development. I actually people often I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of getting your 10 year old, 11 year old to play Minecraft. And people say, well, that's just a. A game. Sometimes I say, well, we played Lego. We played with Lego bricks. This is Lego bricks. But honestly, I think Minecraft teaches you coding, really. And the kinds of skills you're learning and putting these things together and making this world um, is the beginning of a coding mindset that can then evolve. Um, sure. and, and maybe coding is going to, you know, maybe coding is going to change. Maybe the, these kinds of new tools to build games, that's the, the new coding, the future of of coding. Well, yeah, I think the tools generate the code. You yeah. just drag and drop, copy and paste, and then yeah. underneath the hood, it's just generating the code for you. Yeah. At the risk of sounding too old, I mean, coding has already changed a lot. It's gotten a lot easier than before. I mean, sure. there's playgrounds for what was it, Apple Swift, Swift, I think. Swift Playground, yeah. Uh, and, you know, so many programs, so many languages that are designed to make coding language is easier to learn. I just learned about this intermediate language that teaches you how to do C or something like that. And I was like, why can't you just learn C? But I guess it makes things easier and more accessible, which is a good thing. I was brought up on like HTML 1.0 and like I learned C++ job on PHP growing up and it's like, why do you need wow. all these things to learn <laughs> welcome differently? To, welcome to my world. I'm twice as old yeah. as you. You're, you I, have I learned like... Pascal and basic. Yeah. I'm still <laughs> writing I'm still writing Lisp code. So you guys you just yeah. you whippersnapper. Word... By the way, Lisp is coming Lisp is coming back. Tape. It's yeah, on cassette. I loaded on Assembler or bust, baby. <laughs> is uh is Nintendo still uh, a thing? Yeah. It's Very still much great. So. It, it won E3, in my opinion. It destroyed it. It won it's, E3? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, but you got to realize right now the Switch is mid cycle. It's in the sweet spot. I mean, it's in, it's year three. This is where everything coalesces into a great platform. All your first party efforts in development, all the third parties are on board, particularly if it's successful like the Switch is. 
Nintendo is getting third-party support with Switch that it hasn't had since the GameCube. So I knew this when my kid said, you know, this 128-gig SD card you gave me is too small. Do you have anything bigger? <laughs> yeah. Thought, Nintendo oh. brought the games to E3. It literally brought four bangers, like four games that are probably going to sell close to 10 million or more by the time it's all said and done. It announced a new Zelda at E3. These other guys are wrapping up the generation, and we're kind of in this transition period yeah. between saying goodbye to PlayStation 4 and saying hello to PlayStation 5 which is another reason why Sony wasn't at E3. It didn't have a lot of games to show because they're saving them up for right. the big splash Next for PlayStation year. 5. Yeah. So Nintendo's just like, here it is. Like, we need you to guys to buy games. Uh, we're not worried about our next platform yet. And so it, it pretty much won E3 by default, but it did have a good show. I think it's really interesting to see uh, the kind of more traditional Nintendo games like Zelda and Mario and then The Witcher Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on a Switch. The Witcher. <laughs> Wow, uh, Nintendo, Nintendo fans have been begging for that for like five years. I mean, Resident Evil. Oh my God. Yeah, um, yeah the smart. Switch is a real departure for Nintendo as far as the it's, support they've gotten. It's a from real third gaming parties. platform. Yeah, yeah, and it, and yeah. it's great for indie games too. It's the it's yep. the best indie game platform bar none in my opinion. What? Why is that? They it they have got a ton of support for indie games. They they have this Nindies. Uh, initiative that they have actually uh, put a lot of support behind a lot of promotional support behind these independent games and it's just a delightful platform to play some of these smaller titles on because you can play it on the go so it, it's a marriage of of great form factor with content and you can play some of the some spectacular experiences on this thing and there's so many of them lots of exclusive indie games for switch now too it used to be an indie game would be announced and it would be always be announced for pc and playstation 4 for Four years straight, it was that way. And then the Switch came, and now all those games are either Switch exclusive for like a few months, or it's PC and Switch first, and then the other platforms to follow. So indie developers anecdotally have been saying that their games sell far more on Switch than they do on other console platforms. So it's just been kind of a perfect storm. I'll be darned. Yeah. It's funny because before the Switch came out, everybody was call saying it's over for Nintendo. Yeah. Oh, the Wii U. Well, that, every generation since uh, SNES, they said that for Nintendo. <laughs> that's true. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's true. They have a core of fans that are strong enough to get Nintendo through uh, its rough patches. And it also has just billions and billions of dollars in cash. Um, Nintendo would have to have like three or four complete and utter failure generations before it would even be in danger of going out of business. So. I, didn't, I didn't realize that. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It is sitting on a mountain of cash in Japan. Oh, Absolutely. All right. Wow. Well, I feel like we've uh, we've done the E3 tour thanks to uh, a really great panel. Shane Satterfield is uh, here. My old colleague from Tech TV and X-Play, now at Sifted Games, sifted.net, S-I-F-T-D.net, which is, I, I'm going to join, I'm going to sign up on Patreon because uh, clearly I need to figure out what the hell to do with this new Oculus. <laughs> uh, that I spent, by the way, $666 on. I think that that's a little bit telling. I don't know. I don't think you'll regret it. I really don't. Okay. I think you're going to be impressed Was with I it. nuts to buy the hand controllers? It looks like everybody's... No, you, no, you got to have those. You got to have those, gotta have right? That. Yeah. And then I got an extra face mask because those things get sweaty as hell. That's just, that's just <laughs> that sounds like experience. Somebody with experience. <laughs> so disgusting. <laughs> uh... uh Anyway, great to have you, Shane. Sherlyn Hello is here, and we're going to put you to work in a second. Reviews editor at Engadget. Uh, there's lots of other stuff to talk about, including the Pixel 4, Jeff Kanata, 
another colleague from Days Gone By at jeffcanada.com, and the brand new Dungeon Runner podcast available on YouTube, wherever podcasts are, or you can watch it on Caffeine. And I'll be watching that too, I think. Thanks. Is there VR dungeon uh, gaming? Uh, I'm sure there are. I, I mean, there are lots of VR games set in dungeons, sure. Yeah, certainly. but it'd be fun if you could be the dungeon master in a virtual world. Yeah. I, you know, I, I we're working on that. We're Get working on it, on. Jeff. Get yeah. on it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, our show today brought to you by something I actually enjoy more than uh, gaming, sleeping. Uh, in particular, Casper, my mattress. My mattress of choice. <gasps> Oh, I love this new mattress. They actually just started out with a new hybrid mat. There it is. The hybrid mat. <laughs> yes, I'm wearing jammies because I can't wait to get in bed. Uh, the Casper Hybrid Mattress Collection is something new for Casper. Combines the pressure relief of their award-winning foam, but has, and you won't really know this until you, until you lie on it, kind of this durable yet gentle spring. So the Casper, like all Casper mattresses, comes... In a surprisingly compact box, this was a uh, California King, and as soon as you open it up, whoosh, it opens up. Smells great, by the way. There's no need to air it. It is an <laughs> yes, it's a very comfortable mattress. But the reason I like this new mattress is there's better lift, so it's very active support and very durable for all body types. I, as you might have noticed, have a certain kind of pear-shaped form, but it can handle it. The airflow within the spring network is even better, which means you sleep cool. And here's the thing I really like, enhanced edge support. So if you're like me um, and you're getting out of your bed and the mattress gives and you fall out of bed half the time, you will love this new Casper mattress. Enhanced edge support gives it a firmer perimeter so it's easier to get in and out of bed. I know maybe that's just a Leo thing, but I am so happy with this new Casper Get your new Casper mattress. And the best part about Casper is you can try it for 100 days at no risk, free delivery, painless returns in the U.S. and Canada within 100 nights. So if you don't like it, you call them up, they take it back, refund you every penny. And even the new mattress with the springs comes in that little box that is easy to get into the house, easy to get where you want it to be. Open it up and your mattress is there. I love my Casper mattress. Casper changed the mattress business by realizing that there was this huge inefficiency in the mattress stores. And by eliminating that, by cutting out the middleman, they give you the best mattresses ever for a fraction of the cost. They've got bed frames, bedding, and now they have this new glow light, by the way, which I love, that'll help you fall asleep. Casper has everything you need to get a perfect sleep environment. Sleep is the most important meal of the day. So enjoy it at casper.com slash twit1. Use the promo code twit1 and you can get $100 now off select mattresses. Valid on foam and hybrid collections, not valid on the essential terms. Apply $100 off select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply at casper.com slash twit1. Use that promo code twit1 for your $100 off. Thank you, Casper, because I feel so rested and relaxed. Thanks to my Casper. Google, I think this is the best thing ever. There were pictures coming out of uh, the, the Pixel 4, I guess uh, leaks in the case manufacturing and so forth. So Google says, well, since there seems to be some interest, here's pictures. This is what it's going to look like. That's the best way to handle leaks, right? Isn't that awesome? 
Poor Marcus Brownlee says, please let me drop my DreamPhone 2019 video first. To which Google responds, well, the 2019's not over, dude. Maybe you'll want to wait. Uh, we don't know it'll come out, but if in the past it's October, right, Sherilyn? Yep. Uh, typically, Google releases the flagship pixels in October. Um, yeah, no, I... This is a little bit of a behind-the-scenes story from from my point of view. Right? I was manning our my new shift, which for us means, um, you know, watching all the feeds and then like assigning people to write it as fast as possible. And then I saw that tweet come up, and I was like, that cannot be right. That just does. <laughs> that cannot be right. Google goes, and I was like, has Google A ever leaked itself? And B, is this the first official picture we're seeing of the Pixel Four? And did Google just confirm the Pixel Four basically? Yeah. Like five and months early. Yeah, well, yeah, and earlier that day, it was the first leak we'd ever saw. I think uh, yes. that was substantial of the Pixel Four with the from the case design people. So, um, you know, obviously, we had someone just jump on it. We had our post go up as soon as we could. But just the whole like, I, I, you know, having been in communication with Google all throughout the Pixel Three launch, you know, I don't think. I mean, I think this is a very refreshing approach. I think that. I haven't seen a major tech company do this yet. No, um, imagine Apple doing this. Apple would never. <laughs> it's Apple unimaginable. Is, <laughs> uh, Apple is so precious with its information. They're like, we want to surprise and delight yeah. all keynote viewers. Keynote viewers, really? You want to surprise and delight them? Okay. Um, and I think that Google doing this shows that it has confidence, that it, it has even more to show come October, um, which bodes well. And, um, I mean, if we're going to talk about the picture itself, I mean, they tweeted out just one picture. It doesn't of say that much. All we know now is the camera bump, the square camera bump is real, and it's got two lenses. Yeah, what looks like two lenses and some sort of... Uh, the flashlight and then like a third Some thing sort the dark of sensor thing. yeah could be a depth sensor time of flight sensor type of thing i mean given that the pixel 3 was you know in our camera shootout already the best camera with just one uh you know sensor on there uh, you know, and it beat out the likes of the Huawei Mate 20 Pro, I think, and the Samsung Galaxy S9 Plus or the Note 9 back then, uh, as well as the iPhone XS. Given that it's already beat all its competitors with just one sensor, I think that Google could have just so much to show off in terms of what its camera can do. It's smart because it just gets the buzz going. Uh, it's a little early, but it's still getting the buzz going. And they didn't reveal anything. They didn't even show the front of the phone. We don't know if it has a headphone jack. We don't know if there's uh, how big the bezels are. We don't know anything, really, except for this camera bump, which is... So it's good. It's a little teaser. It's a black rectangle. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and, you know, it's going to be black. So I'm curious. I'm surprised it got less than 50,000 likes. I mean, Google's, what, third in the U.S. market right now That's for a good phones? Point. Fastest growing, I think, though, right? That's a good I point. think it is because it was tweeted out of their Made by Google account, which isn't the, as, uh, you know, swallowed as it. their main. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, you know, I'm sure if you look at, like, maybe Marquez's uh, tweet of it or another publication tweet about the news, those probably got, like, a ton of likes. Yeah, they only have 253,000 uh, followers. Oh. Yeah, Marquez has 3.26 million followers. <laughs> There's a little, little, little teeny-weeny difference. Delta, yeah. yeah. Teeny weeny difference. Do uh, so, now the chat room saying, well, Apple does this, but they do it surreptitiously with leaks, with like controlled leaks. Do you believe that, Sherlyn, that Apple intentionally leaks out information? 
I do not believe in the idea of controlled leaks. I think that people believe it and power to you if you think that is the case. I think we've been accused of being controlled leaks before. And because that's not the case, I am like against that very notion. Like people think that you know, Apple has reporters in his pocket. Maybe it does. I don't know. I don't know everything that goes on in this world, but a lot of us are not in any company's pocket. And like, it is actually borderline offensive when people say that. Yes, but I agree with you. Yeah. But when people say controlled leaks, I mean, yeah, if you're talking about PR stunt, if you're talking about marketing stunt that comes through its own channels, that's different. When you're accusing a publication of being a mouthpiece for a site, you got to be very careful about like, what you're saying here, I think, because I, I don't know, again, maybe some sites do do it, but there are legitimate publications that refuse to. And, you know, that's just that's not what we do. And having. But, if, you but, know, but, but uh, I mean, sometimes people accuse the Wall Street Journal, for instance, of being kind of in Apple's back pocket. Right. But uh, if, if Apple came, if, if an Apple employee came to you and said, Psst, here's something interesting. That's a good source. That doesn't That's mean you're... Source. Yeah, and we're still... But the thing is, here's the difference of a controlled leak versus uh, a publication that's covering a, something that a source came to you with, right? If it's a controlled leak, you're not going to... Like, you're going to say whatever the company told you to say, maybe. Ah. But if it, you got a good source from the Apple in, like assembly line, you get the case, you get whatever the news is, and then you make your own judgment about, A, whether it's newsworthy even if enough to publish, B, what your take on it is. Is it verify your like your source? Was your source really credible? Like there's yeah. a lot of steps journalistically to prove these things, and that's not a controlled leak. I don't believe in that. So, so but, certainly there are leakers, but what you're yeah. saying is uh, kind of a tit for tat. We'll give you the cover of the magazine if you give us some inside information, that kind of thing. That's not, that's not, nope. yeah. I mean, I think yeah, that, that's not no, kosher. That's, I agree with you. No, I mean, no, that happens no overtly. I mean, you look at a lot of magazines, they get a cover story, even in gaming, they'll get a cover story on a game and they're the first ones who get to play it. They're the right. first ones who get access to it. And now that most magazines have a digital element of their business, all that stuff goes on YouTube, and they get the exclusive on all that information before anyone else. So it's not out I, of the ordinary. You wouldn't do that, though. <laughs> Who, me? They would never give it to us. Our publication isn't big enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think getting an exclusive is different from, again, getting, like, is just it some sort of deal. No, it is because you don't you want to be a PR arm of a company you cover. That's not right. I mean, it's a basically, if you're still no, if you're still exercising your journalistic like integrity in what your reporting is, like if something is bad, call it out for being bad. You're exclusive yeah. if it's all sunshine and roses. Then there's suspicion of like, is this really a journalistic piece or is it PR? And that's kind of where the line is, right? I, I think. never have to worry about this because everybody hates me in the industry. So it's just. <laughs> <laughs> that's convenient. Yeah. I've made it that way over the years. Uh, yeah. So there it just you go. seems weird to me that, that, that there would be. I mean, I guess politics does it. So maybe, maybe tech does oh, it God, too. It's the just belt, seems beltway journalism. That's the phrase. Yeah, but I, it just seems odd to me that someone sitting in a room trying to promote a product would go, here's what we do. We don't point people to our channels. Right. We point them to other people's channels right. and give those other people's channels this cool tidbit of news. I just don't – I don't. I mean, I feel like it, it worked out. are not going to report it the way you want it. I mean – Yeah. 
Yeah. You can yeah, say you have a deal or whatever, but ultimately the journalist is the one who has to type up that that article and that report and publish it. So right. there's there's some uh, wiggle room in there for you to not get for things to not work out exactly how you hope for them to. That's right. That's why there's like things like briefings and embargo briefings and stuff like that before a launch because, you know, a company like, say, Samsung or Google or whoever wants to make sure the messaging gets out correctly. And like, you know, reporting from a live event is very different from having been briefed about it a few days ago because you, there you have time to process. You have time to be like, all right, let's fact check. Let's check out what the predecessor specs were. Let's do all these comparison things that I can make use to make my article much more like reliable and much more useful for my reader. Whereas like live from the event and the bustle of like a hands-on show floor, yeah, I can do all those things, but am I going to get every single piece of like information right from like a convention floor? It's harder to do that. It would take longer. So then the end result is not as nice. And so for the company, sometimes they see that benefit. Um, it's, I don't like, I mean, like I get how it can come off shady and it can come off like a collusion sometimes, Especially when like a company just handpicks who the hell they want to like brief, uh, and that frustrates me a lot because we don't always get briefed. So it is it is something that I've had to like work out my personal it's struggle. It is yeah. it's very challenging, and I feel fortunate that I uh, I don't have to deal with that. And I've always kept PR uh, at, at arm's length as much as possible. I don't accept review units generally and stuff like that, just because. I don't want not only the appearance of collusion. I just don't want the pressure from these guys. I don't want to. I don't. They don't know my number. I don't want to hear from them. If we, you know, and I basically uh, free ride on you, Sherilyn, and I, I let and gadget do all the work, and then I just uh, read your stories out loud. He but gives I, them your number. I, he hands I, them I your say, number. Call Sherilyn, oh, and then I'll do the commentary that's, that's why it. i get all the pr calls it's commentary that's <laughs> it. uh well you mentioned okay so you said how good the pixel uh, 3 uh, phone uh, camera is um and then the chat room some of the people in the chat room saying well what about the huawei what about the mate 20 pro which is an excellent camera oh yes yes that that's, is oh, good lord such a good camera sorry you were saying well except you can't buy it in the u.s yeah yeah hardware wise They've, they've achieved a lot. Huawei has achieved a lot on that yeah. phone, um, and it is a shame. I don't know. It's it's. it's what's your What's your take? In fact, I'm going to ask everybody, but let's start with you, Sherlyn. Yeah. What's your take on what's going on with Huawei? Is it really a national security threat, or is this a trade war against Huawei? I They just announced they're not going to ship the uh, MateBook now at all. Yeah, yeah, which is a, a little bit of a loss. I'm using the MateBook. Right now, literally, where we're doing this Skype it's call. A, it's a great laptop. Good laptop. It's a really In good fact, laptop. Huawei said, if it weren't for this embargo, we would probably be the number one phone manufacturer in the world. We're number two right now. We'd probably be number one. They're number two without the U.S. Yes. Um, which is like huge. Um, so where I stand in terms of whether it's a national security ban or whether it's a national security threat versus a trade war thing, I think it's a bit of both. I think that there are things about Huawei that are suspicious um, and they have done sneaky stuff in the past, like steal stuff from T-Mobile and just not been very upfront and, and things that I hear off the grapevine. That yes, but there's a difference between lousy, slimy <laughs> industry practices, which are is fairly widespread. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, yeah, uh, Father Robert told me that he'd see Huawei guys go around at the end of the conference taking pictures of other people's logic boards and things like that. Okay. But there's yeah. a big difference between that and 
national security. National security and Chinese government spying and things like that. I think that I, I honestly don't know if they have actually installed backdoors on their chips or modems or processors. And I don't think there's any evidence that they have. There's no evidence. Yeah. If there was, we wouldn't be in the situation we are in. If there was evidence, we would be done with this situation. Right. We would be in court. We'd like, all be going, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, of course, there's always the potential because they are a Chinese company. And any company that's operating out of China is legally bound if the Chinese government asks them to do things like that. But, Although I, I think the Chinese government might think twice about submarining one of its most successful companies. Mm, I, you know, I have very little, the, you know, knowledge of what's going on in their Chinese operations. Just, I just know that it, it's suspicious. I do think that a lot of this is unwarranted, but, um, you know, I know that there's a lot of people out there watching or here listening to this that are going to have their own doubts and they can't be dissuaded in any way. So I honestly don't think that Huawei's claims of being able to sell their phones in the U.S., making them the world's number one, is that valid because there's people whose confidence is shot already and they're just right. not going to buy it regardless and we should point out huawei has become the number one phone in china because of patriotism among yes. chinese customers who say well screw you u.s i'm buying a huawei phone <laughs> yeah so, i don't think it's easy that, to discuss yeah. this without getting political i think that's maybe the problem i don't know uh, if get you political go, go ahead Shana. Show, let's go there <laughs> you know how you'll know if it's bogus is if we make a trade agreement with China and all of a sudden Huawei gear starts flooding the U.S. again. Right. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I just things that I hear from this administration, I tend to not believe a lot of the time. And I kind of wait till I have real evidence of it. I don't know. That's Maybe the that's sad the thing. Yeah, that's what happens to credibility. Yeah. Uh, when you make eroded. stuff up uh, pretty yep. soon, even if you're telling the truth, nobody knows whether to believe it or not. Crying yeah. wolf. Yep. Yep. Crying wolf. Um, I feel bad because I do feel like Huawei's phones and Huawei's laptops are very, very good. And yes. I think I would, I have a P20. I would have loved to, have, but I had somebody call me, said, well, I have a Huawei phone. Should I get rid of it? And I said, well, I guess so. Because unless Google changes its policy in three months, you won't get security patches. And no one should use an Android phone that's not getting security patches. I, I mean, again, I was like out of work. Uh, I was on vacation for like a week, but I thought they flip flopped that decision. And then they said three months. So now it's three months. Okay. So, but what, I, my cousin has a Huawei phone. He asked me about it and he was like, well, am I okay? And I said, you're going to be fine because a, well, your, all your apps are going to be able to run your third party apps. Anyway, if you rely on Google's apps, you're going to be in a difficult situation. Huawei is going to push out its own mobile OS. Um, what, by like fall or sooner than we expected, I remember. And, you know, even though Huawei is not the best software player, they're, you know, they've surprised me so far with their hardware. So I wouldn't be like too, you know, harsh on them or, or, or expecting too little from them at this point. I think I, I am bullish on them. I think they'll do better than I expected. Um, I do think there's some form, there is a turnaround somewhere. Like I, I don't see that this is, it for for Huawei in the U.S. and it, it would be a shame if it were the like your, to your point the Mate 20 Pro to back to that chat room conversation seriously the imaging on that phone is really great the reason the Pixel 3 won in the end was it was just a much simpler interface to use in yeah. addition to being like great at processing images nowadays phones are so good I don't think there's enough of a difference between the S10 Plus the iPhone 10s the Huawei. Um, they're they're all very very good, and I think it's personal, almost a matter of personal taste, which one you like better. I'm actually a big fan of the S10 Plus. I have uh, all of them, and I like the S10 Plus. So, 
There you go. Whatever DxO Mark says, I still like him as ten plus. How about so, uh, Jeff? Are you just going to stay out of this and say uh, dodge the <laughs> well, bullet here? <laughs> certainly not my area of expertise, but I, I tend to have a, a bit of skepticism on any of the grand conspiracy yeah. theories. I mean, it's it seems like you know who do you want spying on you? The Chinese government or our government? It's you know you. That's <laughs> you a good point, point, right? You know, poison yeah. or Facebook yeah. or Google or. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It is interesting uh, to see. I just saw an Apple ad yesterday. I guess it was uh, maybe it was the day before in the playoffs uh, where the Apple had a padlock on it that locked and then it turned into the Apple logo. And Apple's really doubling down on this notion that, well, we make a safe, private, secure phone. Those other guys this, may not. Was this an I think Apple public evidence though? supports that. I mean, police have tried to go to Apple to get phones cracked like the, the authorities can't do it so they like beg apple for help i mean i think the proof's kind of in the pudding on that one and, and i think apple recognizes that that is a legitimate selling point i think that they they can really double down on that messaging and i think that will resonate with people and they have a track record that they can draw from and say hey we've resisted on every level and we're pretty we have a pretty good track record on this and i think i think that as we get farther and farther down the road of distrust in all of these companies, I think that might end up being something that draws people to that brand. Although, I have to point out, Celebrate, the Israeli firm that uh, many law enforcement agencies use to crack into phones, say, this is their tweet from uh, June 14th, we're proud to introduce UFED Premium, an exclusive solution for law enforcement to unlock and extract data from all iOS and high-end Android devices. Sherilyn, is that credible? I have no clue. This is the first I'm hearing of it. I think that there, you know, as you could jailbreak your phone in the past, your iPhone in the past, there's always going to be a solution for you to be able to extract data from a phone that's purportedly locked. So the hackers are always hard at work. We'll always find a solution to this somewhere i think we would just like understand that your data is not super secure if it's beamed anywhere yeah. the best is well, we do know that i mean storage. we we know that from a number of sources that the minute you put a third-party app on your iphone gone <laughs> forget it <laughs> i guess if you didn't put anything on your iphone maybe you'd have a, a chance uh of succeeding that's why i only use notepad yes and calendar and play microsoft solitaire that's all anybody needs <laughs> yeah right yeah, let's go back to 1997. The world was simpler. It was a lot God, better. Can we? I wish we would. Days. Go back Just to MySpace. Just for a day. <laughs> MySpace. Oh, <laughs> All right, let's take a break. Talking about MySpace, Facebook is going to launch its own cryptocurrency. Maybe even this week we'll hear announcements uh, about something called Project Libra, their global co coin project. And there's some concerns about that. We'll talk about it in just a second. Great, great panel here. Sherilyn Lowe, I really appreciate your being here. She is a busy person, reviews editor at Engadget.com. Sherilyn Lowe on uh, Twitter, C-H-E-R-L-Y-N-N-L-O-W. Uh, also with us, Jeff Kanata, his new podcast, The Dungeon Runner. He is... Run. Just Dungeon Run. Just Dungeon Run. Well, he's the yes. Dungeon Runner, though, in Dungeon Run, <laughs> I am right? <laughs> you, you are the Dungeon Master. I am. The Key Master. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's on Caffeine, but also YouTube and, and podcasts. And uh, from Sifted.net, Shane Satterfield. Great to have you, Shane, as well. Thanks you for having me. Given that you worked with me 20 years ago at Tech TV, you should look a lot older. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago, man. Oh, okay. 
Okay, if you say so. Uh, Thank you for the compliment. I'll take it however I can get it. I don't understand. I don't get it. Uh, You got a portrait in the basement somewhere. Our show today brought to you by Thousand Eyes. What a fascinating company. And people who uh, learn about Thousand Eyes, I think, often go, what? You can do that? Thousand Eyes was created uh, uh, during graduate research at UCLA not so long ago. The goal was, how can we see what's going on in that puffy little thing they call the cloud? Now, let me tell you, if you have Internet services, Internet products, if you use the Internet to reach customers, you know what a scary thing this is. Because you can have complete control, complete visibility into your servers, into everything you're running. But the minute your stuff goes out on the public Internet, sky's the limit. Anything could happen. And when something goes wrong on the Internet, it may not be your fault, but it's definitely your problem. Think of Thousand Eyes as the Google Maps of the Internet. I think of it, I like to think of it as a squeegee. I feel like the Internet is this, you're looking through a dirty window trying to figure out what's going on. Thousand Eyes comes along and squeegees it, and you've got a perfect view, a real-time map of the Internet with visibility into the digital experience from every user to every app or service hosted in any cloud so, and by the way, every company these days relies on the internet to deliver services to their customer. And whatever it is, you've got to trust the internet. We know, look at Target last yesterday. Target's cash registers stopped working in every Target store. Customers abandoned their shopping carts because they couldn't check out. This must have cost Target an untold millions of dollars. And you can imagine, I can I could just see them in the network center going, What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? What's wrong? What happened? What's going on? We're losing money. What's going on? I, I hope they had thousand eyes. There, no internet, no service. You lose revenue. You lose brand reputation. Ultimately, you lose customers. That's why companies that rely on the internet rely on thousand eyes. It lets you know not only when there's an issue on the internet before it impacts business, but also those insights will help you fix the problem. You can work with your service provider. You can say, I see the problem. It's in your network operations center. It's in North Virginia. This is what's going on. And you can collaborate and get back to business. If you're deploying SaaS applications, if you're moving workloads to the cloud, the internet is now your home. And if there's a problem, if your employees can't run their cash registers or access Salesforce or ServiceNow or Office 365 or Zoom or Slack, you can't help customers, you can't service requests, you can't collaborate. You become unproductive. Your money starts flying out the window. That's why IT teams, anybody responsible, loves Thousand Eyes. Now you can see what's going on. You can fix issues fast. You can keep businesses running smoothly. And I just love it because so often when you hear about these outages, you get these kind of namby-pamby, well, something went wrong. <laughs> and uh, it's fixed now. But we don't know what happened. ThousandEyes.com slash twit. You need to know. Make the internet work better for you. By the way, they have a great booklet. This is a good one to share with the boss. Five cloud migration challenges you shouldn't ignore. And then you can bring it up in the... Yeah, it's a good company. Neat stuff. Good information, right? These Thousand Eyes guys, we kind of need them. ThousandEyes.com slash twit. This will help you get the conversation started with the boss because you do need Thousand Eyes. ThousandEyes.com slash twit. They really should call it a million eyes because it's a lot more than a thousand eyes. They've got, they've got sensors everywhere. Everywhere, from every cloud provider down to the coffee, the Wi-Fi in the coffee shop, they know what's going on. Thousand Eyes, make the internet work for your business. 
Thank you, Thousand Eyes, for your support. We're big fans. Did I get it all? I, you know, I should have asked you uh, before uh, we moved on. Did we get all the E3 news out of the way? Was there uh, Shane? Was there a big story that I didn't mention that we we wanted to bring up? Anything? No, I think organically we ended up hitting most of the Good. big stuff. Um, the show was a little bit of a downtrend this year. Several Is there a show you're looking forward to? There. Do you go to PAX and all that? Um, PAX is my favorite event. Everybody's uh, favorite world. event. Yes, it is. It's because it's not, it's not all stodgy and kind of formal. It's not business corporate. I, I think, yeah, it's not corporate at all, although it's, it's striding in that direction a little bit over the last few years. But I think why most players like to go is because it's a chance for them to mingle with developers yeah. in an informal setting. Um, you can sit there and you can be playing like a tabletop board game. And next thing you know, Tim Schafer from Double Fine sits down and says, nice. hey, can I play? It's nice. just a very communal vibe at that entire event. Everybody's having a good time. Um, I don't know what it is. Like Penny Arcade just captured something really magical with that. I've not been out to any of the other ones. So I don't know if the, the other events are similar. But PAX West is really, if you like games or even just nerd culture at all, it is just an amazing weekend and well worth the money you spend to go there. I, I have been to all the PAXs, including PAX Australia, and uh, I will say my theory as to why it tends to work so well is they did something very smartly, and that was... For the last 19 years... I'm sorry. They created a um, uh, an ecosystem of employees and volunteers for their events that are treated extremely well. Yeah. They call themselves enforcers. Yeah. And it is it is its own subculture of people that are, do it every year that feel like it's a privilege to do it and they they revel in the the uh, the moments where they get to be helpful and knowledgeable about the event itself. It really is is this in-group, this club of people who just want to be the best guide around that they possibly can and i think it permeates the feeling of the entire show it makes it really feel friendly and positive and they were very smart to do that right at the beginning and it has continued i think and throughout i like what you said earlier jeff that that, that really that, that this is an art form and now the tools are out for artists for people really creative people not geeks but really i mean you still need geeks to write the engines but these engines make it these middleware makes it possible for people who are really creative to 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 use this art form and that's very exciting that's it's cool really man cool. yeah you go to the you go to these in, the indie mega booth or any of these little corners where independent games are thriving in any of these shows indie mega booth is at pax all the paxes indie mega booth was at e3 this year uh you see young people uh that are so cool i i, I had a moment at, at uh, gdc at the indie mega booth where i, I was standing in the indie mega booth and i looked around and i went I'm the oldest person here, uh, and all of these kids are so cool. Yeah, it's like these kids are so cool. They they grew up, and they never knew a time when video games weren't cool. It is is just completely yeah. natural to express themselves in the context of interactive entertainment, and so they're using this medium to tell stories and express themselves in a way that is completely accepted by their peers and. Uh, it's it's really exciting and it's a vibrant subculture and they're all going to grow up and be part of larger companies because they'll make more money. But they have this experience of creating games that are personal and, and and thinking outside the box and doing stuff interactively that's different and more exciting. 
There was a great little game called the Grim Fandango, and uh, Tim Schaefer, who was the creator at LucasArts, went on just down the road a piece to create a company called Double Fine. They did a Kickstarter. They sold a game called Broken Age, Psychonauts. Uh, they became a, a game company that a lot of, an indie game company that a lot of people really loved. The weirdest story coming out of E3 is that Microsoft bought them. Yeah. And here's Tim Schafer's little video on Twitter explaining why they sold. For the last 19 years, Double Fine Productions has been an independent game developer. And then Microsoft came to us and said, what if we gave you a bunch of money? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, yeah. <laughs> what a good video. He's so great. He He's so, so great. <laughs> and that's why people love Double Fine, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Tim's a great guy. I mean, he's just Genuinely he's funny like that dude. in person, too. I mean, he's, it's, that's not scripted. That's just Tim Schaefer. He's just an amazing guy. <laughs> with good, with excellent comedy timing. Yeah, um, and his games have that same comedic timing as well. And they've kind of found yeah. a niche in doing games like that. So hopefully they can continue with Microsoft's money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I mentioned the target outage uh, yesterday. Cash registers down for several hours. A uh, lot of Twitter traffic about it. Can you imagine a giant retailer like Target having a single point of failure somewhere and there's cash registers to stop working? Uh, they don't. They said it's not. It wasn't a. We don't think it was an attack. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody kicked a cable somewhere. Well, we don't know. You almost then, feel better if it were an attack, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then yesterday, Argentina is having uh, local elections. They have a massive power outage, which spreads to Uruguay because they're on the same grid system. They say, we don't think it was an attack. It wasn't an election day. We don't think it was an attack. We think there, there was a cascading effect because we lost power from a hydroelectric dam. But we don't think it was an attack. And then there's a, a story in the New York Times. I'm going to tie this all together because there was a story in the New York Times uh, on the 15th, just a couple of days ago, that really scared me. U.S. escalates online attacks on Russia's power grid. We are in a situation where there is a new Cold War going on, and it's going on with cyber attacks, with hackers. We know that the Russians have been for years putting malware on our power stations, on our power grid. They've been doing it for a long time. W public warnings from the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI that Russia had inserted malware that could sabotage American power plants, oil and gas pipelines, or water supplies. So what's the response? Well, you know, the natural response would be, let's see how we can secure these. No. Or maybe yeah, a natural response. That's not what happened. Yeah, or maybe not. <laughs> Or maybe the natural response would be what uh, the, the nations of the world did after World War I. They got together and said, you know, we need some treaties so that mustard gas and other poison gases will never be used again. Maybe you could do that. Or, I know what we'll do. Let's escalate the matter. Let's put our own malware in the Russian grid. So get ready, because I think that I don't know about Target. And I, I'm sh I, sh I don't know about Argentina. But I do know that a couple of years ago, Ukraine was down for 
a considerable amount of time in an attack perpetrated from the Russian Federation using tools by groups like Fancy Bear, uh, hacking tools. And I think that we are heading into what could be a real... Imagine, you know, uh, PG&E, for those of us in California, did you get, Jeff, the email from PG&E saying we might turn your power off? Oh, yeah. That was like a flashback to however many years ago when we would have brownouts. Yeah, but this one they said for as long as 48 hours. Yeah. This is because of the uh, fire, high fire danger. And, of course, I think it's punitive because PG&E is getting sued by everybody for the big fires that you had down your way yeah. and we had up our yeah. way because it was their power lines poorly maintained that people think caused those fires. So PG&E said, well, if that's how you feel, we'll just turn off your power for a couple of days. It was weird that they ended the email with, enjoy the looting. <laughs> that was the giveaway, wasn't it? <laughs> Go buy a gun. <laughs> so what if there's a cyber war and the Russians kick our power out for not a day or two or a week? Imagine pow Imagine what would happen in the nation's cities if the power were out for seven days or a week or a month. Well, Four days I mean, for we're, anarchy, we're, I think. That's all it would take. Four days. <laughs> we only have a food supply for three days. Once everyone's cell phones die, it's anarchy. That's it. Forget <laughs> Stadia. I can't call my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I don't I, – we're in a cyber war. I mean, it's not, it's not coming. It's here. And, again, sh as Shane said, at the risk of getting political, uh, it, the, the great – I think the worst offense – well, maybe not the worst, but one of the worst offenses of the last two-plus years – is the fact that everyone now, everyone, even Trump himself, has seemed to acknowledge that we were attacked in a coordinated way. We have a detailed report stepping us through. Volume one is a very detailed report yep. stepping us through exactly the sophistication level of and the there, attack and that there was were carried many out on indictments. Yeah, 32 of them. Yep. And zero has been done zero has been done to address it no and yes i think that what you see with you know what trump is calling a uh uh treason but also not true so i don't know how you <laughs> it's not true and treason <laughs> it's treason but also not true this uh, a new york times report uh, i think those are the kind of in-kind responses that a government tends to make uh without making it public that are trying to retaliate for those kinds of things. But the fact that there has been no government action to actually take steps to prevent a, an attack on this country, you know, a cyber attack on this country is unbelievable. It's unbelievable that let alone uh, election attacking, which clearly is happening. Uh, you know, we reports over and over and over again, but as you're saying, power grids and infrastructure basic service infrastructure yes. so it's there's, insane there's a the united states cyber command which was elevated to a, a equal uh level as the rest of the armed services led by uh, general paul m nakasone was given last summer uh leeway to conduct offensive not defensive offensive online operations without presidential approval mm. basically at their own discretion um, it has gotten far more, far, far more aggressive over the past year, said one senior intelligence official. We are doing things at a scale that we never contemplated a few years ago. 
but no one will say what we're doing. Officials at the National Security Council declined to comment. Uh, they said they have no national security concerns about the details of the Times reporting about the targeting of the Russian grid. Uh, I think this is its about to get interesting. I think <laughs> defense is smarter than offense in cases like this. It I think it's also very short-sighted to assume that if you just leave it alone, that it's going to continue to benefit you. Right. Um, you know, speaking about election interference and things like that, I think it's pretty pretty stupid to just assume that whatever happened well, in 2016 to, to <laughs> your benefit is going to benefit you in 2020 oh. as well. Putin I mean, you also, kind of crack open, you also crack open the idea of are our political candidates going to start campaigning for Russia? Are they going to start trying to appeal to Russia so that Russia helps? Them? I mean, it, Russia, I'm good for you. It, seriously, I mean, Vote he for kind me. of did that. I mean, he kind of did that on camera publicly. So, is that where we're going to be, or oh do we need God. to dedicate more time to actually defending ourselves? I mean, it's crazy. It does seem like you could uh, make an effort. Uh, maybe they are to lock this stuff down and 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 build a better defense. It doesn't. There's no public effort that way, and Congress is uh, the Senate has completely stymied any attempt to do that. Um, and I'm not just talking about election meddling. I, but I really right. don't even fear that anymore uh, compared to an attack on our infrastructure by yeah. faceless hackers. Uh, and and it, when you, all it takes is just to look what happened at Target. To, to yeah, this is the this is the companion article. After I read the Times article, I read this companion article in Ars Technica about uh, Russian incursions into uh, our grid. And, and more. Hackers are behind dangerous oil and gas intrusions all over the U.S. power grids. The very good Dan Gooden at uh, Ars Technica saying uh, there's something called Triconex, the Triconex malware. Security firms are seeing this um, at work uh, all over the United States. Um, FireEye reported that the malware known as Triton or Trisis was used in an attack on another industrial facility in April. They're seeing it all over our grid. So it's happening. Yeah, maybe we are in the middle of it. I just worry about the day the power goes out and then what happens. Yeah, it's scary Buy a stuff. generator now. Buy a generator. There's power behind that too, though, because whoever does it can say, I did this on behalf of this. Yeah. And... If you want us to fix it, then you guys need to do this. I mean, it's never just a simple thing of all the powers out for three hours and it's just this anonymous attack. Like there's they can assign those attacks to whatever they want to try to get what they want. Right. So Well, the good news is the United States has gotten very good at securing data and protecting uh, information. Well, no, wait a minute, sorry, I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so Apparently, there were uh, security uh, cameras scanning license plates and drivers uh, as they entered the United States. I, th I think it was from Canada. Uh, and the tens of thousands of images of travelers and license plates stole, have been stolen from CPB. Well, it turned out that a federal subcontractor uh, transferred copies of the images to his network which the agency says was done without its knowledge. Okay. And in violation of its contract, maybe you'd want to have locked those down. Then the subcontractor's network was hacked. Uh, no more, the U.S. government says, no more than 100,000 people had their information compromised by the attack. 
That is small beans compared to some other ones. Yeah, OPM was $22 million. So, guys, this is nothing. Right. <laughs> and CPB it's says... It's say that until you're the one who has your identity stolen. Yeah. That'll change your perspective on everything. Yeah. Um, Subcontractor just wanted to have him to just peruse at his leisure, I guess. You know? What a mess. He was probably going to sell it to somebody. <laughs> the subcontractor was Perceptics, a Tennessee-based company that makes license plate readers... And provides the government with other border security services. Uh, they were hacked last month. Nobody's talking about whether this was them. Uh, but we think it probably was. It's no big deal. They said it was just information from one lane of the border crossing. It's <laughs> <laughs> one lane. All right, I'm going to talk. Let's yeah. talk about something more fun, more happy. How about <laughs> yes, this one? The uh, the uh, soccer app. <laughs> so it happens all over the world. La Liga, which is uh, the uh, nation, the Spain's top professional soccer league, created an app with millions of downloads. And the problem was the soccer uh, league was worried because there were a lot of bars pirating games. So they decided to use the app to turn on the microphone on the phone to listen in to see if they could catch any bars pirating the game without licenses. They might want to head over to Reddit. <laughs> if they really yeah, want to yeah, stop must people be a, from watching pirate yeah. streams of sports, yeah, I'm just saying be a better they way might to do want that. to check out Reddit. Yeah. So you have to marry the audio information of the game with the gps location right. of it not being at a private residence right because yeah so the apps, everybody that has this app is watching the soccer yeah, games no. right the, yeah right because you're you know you're a fan you have the app so the app uh would use gps to detect if it was in a bar the phone was in a bar and then it would turn on the phone's microphone and they would use technology kind of like shazam to, to identify the audio and then they would say, well, does this bar have a license? They got caught. They paid a quarter of a million euro uh, fine for it. My uh, thing here is why, I mean, okay, what were they going to do? They found someone that was streaming it illegally. Just be like, yeah, we heard through an app that you're doing this. Or like just. Yeah. Were they, they were clearly going to get caught at some they point. They put it in the terms of service. <laughs> if you accept oh, a specific yeah. and optional box enabled for this purpose, you can send to the access and use of your mobile device's microphone, of course nobody reads this, and geo-positioning functions so that La Liga knows from which locations football is being streamed and thus detect. And it's, in the, it's in the TOS! <laughs> nobody reads TOS. They can, they can put yeah. whatever they want in there. It's like that old Simpsons yeah. episode. Like, I can't remember the last time I read a Terms of Service. Probably like oh 1998 or something. Oh, my God. That is hilarious. That's just, just below the paragraph where they have the rights to your blood. Yeah. And, right. and uh, your firstborn. firstborn. Yeah. Telegram DDoSed. Uh, they think it was because Telegram is being used in Hong Kong, on the streets of Hong Kong, uh, where protesters are protesting a new extradition treaty uh, with China. Will put Hong Kong more directly under the control of mainland China. So all of a sudden, Telegram stopped working. Um, it's really, I mean, nation states now have huge uh, power in, in the cyber world. And they use it at will, basically, and it, with impunity. Yeah. And I think, you know, honestly, that soccer story probably 
it hasn't been read by a lot of people in America. But I would guess stories like that are much more likely to drive home the point than the sort of abstract idea of, oh, your phone has a mic. You know, these these things that we can all relate to. I was in a bar and we were watching a game. I, you know, it feels like those kinds of stories maybe actually. They turned on my microphone and they were listening in on what I was doing. I'm waiting for the day because everyone that I know in my circle has been suspicious that their phone has been spying on them. This right. isn't new. Like everyone's like, oh, how does Instagram know I was talking about this? And then it's showing me ads for this. I literally didn't type it anywhere. They just knew. And like I have my personal suspicions, but, you know, no do you proof think they do been- that? I thought that was proven I- already. That my they- my well, daughter told me her friend said baby ducks, baby ducks, baby ducks a bunch of time into her phone. And all of a sudden she got ads for baby ducks in her Instagram. I don't. I mean, that's like Beetlejuice. <laughs> I drove past. There's a bowling lane, bowling alley that's like a mile from us, and we had never gone. And one night we were driving by it, and I said to my wife, "I'm like, why have we never gone to the Bolero?" And she's like, "I don't know." And then we get home. I come in my part. The first ad on Facebook is for Bolero. No. Like, it's bowling yeah. Bolero. Yeah. So oh, I, I mean, hundred percent, it's happening. I had a similar experience where I said with my friend, like, oh, uh, my friend was like, have you ever heard of Rumble Boxing? You should go. And that was the only time I'd ever heard of it or looked up, looked it up or what. I didn't even look it up. I just heard of it. And it, yeah, Instagram was showing me ads for it. And here's the thing. I tweeted about it and I got shouted down by every person on Twitter about how dumb I was for thinking that my phone could be used to listen on my conversation. And like, I've been like, therefore half convinced and half not convinced they're saying the point of the people saying that that's not possible is that you're ignoring the fact that facebook and instagram have so much information on you so in your case shane it might have been the gps of your phone has been noted to like pass by the bolero or something and then they're surfacing it up to you it's a but bit why did that add it's also your literally five it's minutes a later coincidence. it's a coincidence it's also it's human, be- human <laughs> beings are pattern recognition machines yes, we are built for are. that very good at you recognizing would never, those yes. you would not have noticed the bolero right. ad if you okay. hadn't seen That's bolero right. you know right. so we 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 convince ourselves of these things i'm not saying it's not happening but i'm saying the human brain is built to create a narrative out That's of right, data Jeff. points that are disparate That's so absolutely true yeah, there like are, I mean, look, there are tons of YouTube yeah, videos about this exactly. where people just sure. sit there on their phone and yell Nike, 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 and then go to their to Facebook and there's a bunch of Nike ads. I mean, you can go look at it yourself. I'm just sharing my anecdotal evidence and what I've seen other people do on uh, online. I'm I'm doing the baby duck experiment as soon as we get done with the yeah, show. I'm, I'm baby ducking sounds, it all. I mean, hardcore. Like we've, Pick we've something obscure. Be like, we, we've said it enough during this podcast to be like, all of us are getting ads on Baby Ducks after this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pretty sure. I hope you guys want to go bowling. <laughs> <laughs> bowling with ducks. All right. <laughs> I do hope that one day they find out, though, that this is indeed happening. Like someone cracks it and they find definitive evidence. But for now, we have nothing to go on. Well, I think um, we would know because I don't want it to be true. <laughs> can't you see the traffic that's being – I mean, I'm sure somebody's sitting there with Wireshark looking at uh, – maybe you wouldn't notice. I don't know. I don't know. I, it, I talk about like, so many things all day long that don't show up as ads. There's I, no way you know I mean? Amazon, Google, Facebook could be listening to every single bit of data coming out of. I mean, that would be crazy. No, Google I mean, is. And then Google's classifying it based on all these different categories. And then they're matching it up with the companies that are advertising with them. It's not that complicated. If they ever got caught doing that, they'd be out of business, don't you think? I don't know. No? I think people are acceptable of a certain amount of intrusion yeah. in their lives. Yeah. I think millennials, there are some millennials that 
want that to happen. They, they're, they're not adverse to it. They're like, I want an ad in my feed for something that I suddenly became interested in. Well, they why think wouldn't it's you? Cool. Well, I mean, right. honestly, a we Bolero ad is a nice thing, right? Because you drove by it. Oh, yeah, we were thinking about going there. I mean, now that's you the way a lot of millennials look at it. They're like, that's the way it's supposed to work. Yeah. Why do you hate it? Why and do you like, want ads for privacy. things you don't want? Like, but a lot of people who are living on Instagram and Facebook, they don't want privacy. They, they, all day, they're violating their own privacy by taking 30 selfies of themselves and posting them. So I just think it's a difference of, of outlook and perspective from – our, maybe our generation to the next generation. That They're not as to, concerned about privacy as we are. That brings me to Global Coin, which is Facebook's currency. I think Zuckbucks <laughs> is a better name, but okay. That's what we <laughs> came up with last week. Zuckbucks is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's what they're going to be called. But no, the, no, Baby Ducks. Baby Ducks Bucks. Baby Zuck Ducks Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook might reveal it as early as next week, although they don't expect it would be happening till 2020. Uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, they've got deals with Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, uh, that they will, in fact, uh, be, you will be able to pay for Ubers with Zuck Bucks. But mm. here's the thing that's a little scary. Uh, a number of uh, companies... Crypto companies, this is from a story on Coindesk, have turned Facebook down. And the issue, it says, based on conversations with seven knowledgeable sources, Coindesk confirmed Facebook's plan is to, con get this, get ready, connect users' financial information to their personal Facebook profiles. Of course. What could they want to be WeChat, right? They want to be WeChat. Yeah. They want to be, they want, they want to be essential to life they want to be part of every transaction you make every moment of your life and you all know the time i dumped facebook and instagram in august i haven't i don't miss it at all but if if suddenly zuck bucks are the coin of the realm <laughs> i might have to go back right well you will have we to don't go accept back. anything but zuck bucks here sir i'm sorry <laughs> <Good day. laughs> where's your zuck bucks no i don't take those yeah. greenbacks what are those for <laughs> all right let's take I, a I, good day Go ahead, Sherilyn. I I have several issues with this whole thing. It, I mean, this is yeah, your generation, Sherilyn. This is yes, you, this you is your future. I didn't want to say this, but Shane, when you were going on about millennials, I felt kind of subtweeted. But okay, <laughs> <laughs> are you a millennial? That, is that the most millennial sentence ever said? Also, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, you felt subtweeted. I, I was subtweeted, sub man. I fit the definition. I mean, I was born within the age range, I think, of a millennial. If you're under like, 35, I'm, you're technically a millennial. Yeah, I am under 35. So, like, I guess technically I'm on the older end of that spectrum. But anyway, um, yeah, I, you know, I have seen the convenience of Alipay or WeChat, um, you know, paying by WeChat, like, in places you go to because I have did, people. Did Sing does Singapore use something like that? Do they have a system? Some, yeah, we do. Uh, we do use, I think, the WeChat payment system in a lot of the restaurants but it's being adopted here in the u.s as well so it's not like it's uh an asia only thing it's growing just because of the sheer like spread starting from china and then like just how these tourists have gone to all these other countries and spending huge you know, amounts it's convenient i'm i i like it if somebody uses venmo because it makes it much easier for me to pay them right my yeah. thing with facebook's purported efforts here though is that i think it's a little late in the game i think that you've already got like things like i apple pay and and 
Google Pay are already like taking a bit more of the market share in this specific industry. I don't know that coming up with a whole cryptocurrency is going to make it all that much more attractive to the millennial audience. Um, just because like, yeah, it might be more secure. Um, Here's the difference. Because Apple Pay and Google Pay are American dollars, Facebook's own currency, Facebook would have control of it. So they could say, hey, congratulations, because you've been an active Facebook user, we're giving you 100 Zuck bucks. Okay, yeah, that that would be, I think, dangerous. Yeah. But, but that also undermines the value of any currency. Yeah. yeah, of course, that's the point. <laughs> how, would it, how would it get so popular that it would replace de facto, like, the currency of the nation or you know how would it get successful enough i don't know i, I just have so many questions and like issues with the whole situation well, here you're, we'll find out it's a grand <laughs> it's a grand experiment every week here on twit let's take a little <laughs> break we'll wrap this up but first i want to show you the video we made i think we uh, spent some real time crafting this highlight reel of all the things you might have missed if you missed anything this week on twit Previously on Twit. It sounds like these new iOS 13 features will allow me to, you know, check my iPad and my location. I unfortunately have broken my ankle, so I've been struggling to check the location <laughs> things a little bit. Did you I break your know. ankle in San Jose? Yes, I did. I fell off a scooter. Um, 10 out of 10. Do not recommend falling off scooters. <laughs> Tech News Weekly. Maker Media, the company behind Make Magazine and Maker Fair, uh, is closing down. I think the most important impact the Maker Movement has had is coming in through the side door in the schools and really changing the nature of learning in school. Security Now. The FBI has reminded us not to place trust in a website just because it's secure. Triangulation. I talked to Julian Guthrie. She is the author of Alpha Girls. There are 6% of venture capitalists who are succeeding who are women. So I wanted to know who they are. What is it like being the only woman at the table? This Week in Google. This morning I woke up to see images of a Pixel 4 phone. It's the usual leaks we get. And Google responded, the Made by Google Twitter feed, since there seems to be some interest, here you go. <laughs> they sent out actual pictures of the back of the Pixel 4, which, I mean, that's the way to handle it. Twit. Tech just like you like it. Fresh and hot? What? How do I like it? Don't leave me hanging. Our show... <laughs> Wait, was that the same guy who used to voice uh, the tech TV promos? Jim back Cutler, you voice yeah. you, Shane, have a good ear. That's yep, the amazing it. Jim Cutler, who uh, we never let go. Uh, I I He's told good. him that he'd get a check from Tech TV, so don't tell him. But <laughs> it went away. Yes. Just just leave it alone. I think he's sending the invoices to Tech TV, and I'm sure he'll get paid someday. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jim does it for us uh, for free because he's such a great guy, and yeah, we the love great him. voice. He is the voice of ESPN at many radio stations. Mean, he does. He's the, like the king of uh, of uh, voiceover guys. So we're very lucky to have him. Our show today brought to you by the fresh air in the studio. Have you noticed? Molecule. We're in pollen season in Petaluma. I know because when I got up this morning, there was yellow dust around the cats' bowls because they what they do is they go out and they run around in the weeds or whatever and they collect all this pollen they bring it into the house a layer thick Whew, this is why we got the molecules some years ago this is a air purifier that works better than anything ever it's actually modern technology it's not a hepa filter that technology has been around since world war ii 
and it hasn't really been improved since. HEPAs trap particles of a certain size and they store them, but Molecule does so much better. It uses PICO technology, photoelectrochemical oxidation. It not only captures, but it eliminates particles, even particles a thousand times smaller than a HEPA filter. Mold, allergens, bacteria, even viruses, even airborne chemicals, volatile organic compounds from like formaldehyde and paint fumes, catches them and destroys them, doesn't even trap them, just destroys them. We use it and we love it. I like it so much. We got one for our son for his room because he was starting to sneeze and get allergies and headaches in the morning. Lisa was getting splitting headaches in the morning and molecules completely eliminated them. Now we have one in the studio too. Molecules technology works for me, but it's also verified by science. It's it, They actually tested this at the University of Southern Florida's Center for Biological Defense and the University of Minnesota's Particle Calibration Laboratory. This is not... Some made-up technology. This is the real deal. It's been tested extensively and verified by these big institutions. It is a miracle. If you've been looking for an air purifier that can deal with anything in the air and get rid of it, you will love it. The molecule is like the apple of air purifiers, too. It's got a beautiful aluminum shell. Uh, you can get a filter replacement subscription service. I've, I've attached my molecule to an app on the phone. It uses Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. And not only can I control the molecule from my phone, but I can also check the status of the filters and it'll even order new filters for me. So they arrive and I put them in. It's very easy to change the filters. But I tell you, when, they, when, that, when those filters come out, you know they've been doing their job. It's incredible. Molecule, M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E. -E. Make the air you breathe as fresh and clean as you're out in the forest. It's fantastic. Molecule. If you go to Molecule.com and use the promo code TWIT1, you can get $75 off your first order. $75 bucks off at M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com. Use the offer code TWIT1. Molecule. Let Molecule freshen your air. Clean it from all the pollutants. If you've got asthma or allergies, this is a must-have. Molecule.com. And don't forget that promo code TWIT1. We thank them for supporting TWIT. We thank you for using that uh, order code because that uh, tells them you heard it here. Are you sad that Huawei is delaying its foldable phone until September, Sherlyn? Kind of. I was looking forward I, to it. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm kind of glad to like get a bit more time to uh, try to get them to give me a preview of the phone. Yes. You know, I have like, now I have until September to be like, hey, give, let me take a look at your phone, guys. Did you play with the Galaxy Fold? Yes, uh, I did. I did. So I had, I was lucky enough to have both the Galaxy Fold and Lenovo's foldable laptop, oh. foldable laptop, like yeah. a laptop with a foldable screen in my my two hands at the same time. I did like a foldable dance with both of them. It was pretty cool. <laughs> that was a shady gesture. <laughs> um, <laughs> at least the, you weren't subtweeted. No, it's great. <laughs> I did get to play with the Galaxy Fold briefly. How did yours? Um, how did Engadget's unit survive? Did you? Did yours? Surprisingly, it was no okay. Problem. Plus, even more surprising was the fact that I actually handed it off to our uh, senior mobile editor Chris Velasco to review, and it survived. Like he's the phone destroyer. Wow! And it our like had not one scratch. Our fold. Granted, when I handed it to him, I was like, "You have to be like careful with this." Like with 
more than your own life. Like, I will kill you before this phone. <laughs> he was smart um, enough not to peel off the screen protector. I yes. yes. Well, his Samsung was very careful to give us instructions to be like, you do not like peel it off and do not, you know, be caref- careless with it. So I, I don't know why other people might have done that. Um, I'm not saying that you shouldn't peel off the screen protector of your phone if it, like, no, I did want- on the S10, and that's probably why people like Marquez Brownlee uh, thought, oh, it's okay to do that because the S10 comes with a screen protector. I don't like screen protectors, and I peeled it off. But right. in this case, <laughs> it was more than just it- a screen protector. <laughs> <laughs> with the new first-gen product like that, yeah, you kind of always have to be careful. Uh, I was excited for Huawei's, though, because it just I thought the whole thing looked so much more promising. I thought that the fold outwards, um, you know, setup was more appealing to me just because it had a bigger screen on the outside. The Galaxy Fold had a weird, like, secondary screen on the outside that was smaller. just didn't feel very useful. Um, so yeah, now this I'm one's kind of cool. It's like a trifold. So do we know when the Galaxy is going to come out, or are they just... I mean, it sounds like they, they should never put it out. They don't know. Honestly, this, this might be another, like, debacle on the scale of the Note 7. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And I know they've delayed it once and delayed it twice now. And I think AT&T's canceled pre-orders. And there's just a lot that signifies that this phone might not come out this year at all. I don't think Do you think so. Huawei's delay has to do with their troubles with the U.S. government? Or is there actually an issue with the phone that they're... From the reports that I read made it seem like they were l- learning a lesson from Samsung. Yeah. Uh, I have no, no idea what they that They really told means. CNBC, we don't want to launch a product to destroy our reputation. <laughs> okay, seems like a good idea. A little late for that. Yeah, that that kind of that kind of you know shows you what the amount of confidence they have in their product, right? Yeah. Like uh-huh. they were very much more um, open to letting reporters and media play with the phone that they had at MWC compared to Samsung, where the phone was still encased inside a glass display, whereas Samsung straight up had a working version. They were like, yeah, wow. here you go, play with it. So I think that Huawei, I'm sorry, I said, did I say Huawei? Anyway. Yeah, so Huawei's product felt Huawei like- Huawei let you play with the phone. Samsung did not. Did not at yes. MWC. So Flip that tells okay. me a lot more. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I just think that there might be some issues uh, under the surface here, but that- it is smart for Huawei to kind of like take a breather and be like, yeah, we are not competing against anyone right now. So let's take yeah, some what, time. What's the rush? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, I'd rather see a better product and I wait agree. for a little bit more. See, that's why we have Sherlyn on our, on our show. She's great. Sherlyn Lowe. She is the uh, reviews editor in Engadget and a, just a, honestly, a jewel in the Engadget crown. It's great to Aww. have you on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Love it. Uh, Jeff Kanata, my old friend, always great to have you on. I cannot wait to see the dungeon run. That like that looks like a really awesome show. Thank you very much. Yeah, I hope you check it out. I'm really proud of it. Going to be a lot of fun on caffeine, YouTube. Uh, check your favorite podcast application and download it. You can watch or listen. Your choice. Yeah, be more fun to watch though. You think? Yeah, there's a lot of really cool visual elements to the show for sure. Okay. Yeah, it does look cool. And it's really nice to reconnect with Shane Satterfield, longtime friend from Tech TV, now at sifted.net, S-I-F-T-D.net. It is a curated feed of gaming news, and you can customize it. If you you got to support him on Patreon, but if you get an account, you can customize it and make sure it has just the stuff you want. That's why I can't wait. I'm signing up right after the show. This show's cost me a lot of money. I had to buy a 
<laughs> Oculus and <laughs> I can't wait you to know what using the site is free, by the way. If you want to consume our original content, you have to be a part of Patreon. Oh, perfect. But using Sifted is hundred percent free. I'm a big fan of supporting uh, independent uh creators because I I'm an independent creator. I think it's a great thing. Yeah. Really nice to have you on, Shane. Thanks Jeff, for having me. Sherlyn, thank you all for being here. We do Twit every Sunday afternoon, 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern. That's 21.30 UTC. You can watch us do it live before all the good stuff gets cut out. Just go to twit.tv slash live. There's audio and video. You can watch or listen. Uh, if you're doing that, join us in the chat room, irc.twit.tv. Those are all the other people watching live, and it's a great conversation going on behind the scenes. Uh, you can also get on-demand versions of every show we do at our website, twit.tv. Uh, it's also on YouTube, but you know, the best thing to do would be subscribe. That way you'll get it the minute it's available, ready for your Monday morning commute. If you want to be in studio, we had a great studio audience. A couple of people ran out screaming, but uh, hey, that's that's what happens. Uh, all, all you have to do is email tickets at twit.tv. We'll make sure uh, we have a chair out for you. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time. Another Twit is in the can. Bye.